Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 997, with David Viana. I think the most powerful thing in life is when you kind of put your 100% energy into one thing. It's not so much what you choose, it's the choice of committing, right? Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then, join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. This episode is brought to you by Restaurant Systems Pro, and they are launching their first time ever 60-day pilot program. This is something that's never been done before. This 60-day event is at no cost to you, but it's not for everyone. Fred Langley, CEO of Restaurant Systems Pro, will be leading a group of restaurateurs through the Restaurant System Pro software and setting up the systems for your restaurants. Fred will teach you recipe costing cards, guidance in your books for accounting, cash control, sales forecasting, checklist, budgeting for the entire year, scheduling for profit, it, more butts and seats, and that's not it. If you are interested in this, head over to www.restaurantunstoppable.com slash RSP. That's RSP for Restaurant Systems Pro. www.restaurantunstoppable.com slash RSP. This episode is brought to you by OneHuddle, a coaching and development platform using quick burst mobile games to more quickly and effectively level up and fire up your workforce. With OneHuddle, you can onboard new employees up to 45% faster. There was actually a study done by the University of South Florida that has proven that you can train your employees 45% faster. This just isn't fluff. This is real stuff. OneHuddle, this new and improved way to educate your staff will train translate into increased sales because you're creating more consistency with the guest experience in both front of house and back of house, i.e. menu development, just learning the menu, POS, limited time offers, food costs, things like this. To learn more, head to restaurantunstoppable.com slash one huddle. That's the number one in huddle like a football huddle. And when you use that link, you can get access to one huddles game shop, 3000 plus on demand skill games on everything from bartending to serve safe to the latest Amazon best-selling books and so much more. One more time, restaurantunstoppable.com slash one huddle. This episode is brought to you by Ovation. Creating a great guest experience is the goal of every restaurant every time, but the ways to find out what's actually happening with your guests are terrible. That's where Ovation comes in. Ovation gets happy guests to leave you positive reviews and unhappy guests to share what happened, and it gives you specific ideas to improve. Ovation, it's frictionless for your guests, easy for your managers, and powerful for you. If you're interested in actionable guest feedback, visit OvationUp.com slash Unstoppable. Unstoppable listeners get $100 off their setup fee. What are you waiting for? That's OvationUp.com. Up.com slash unstoppable. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, chef, partner of Heirloom Restaurant Group, Chef David Vienna. Chef, are you feeling unstoppable today? I'm feeling mighty unstoppable. Yeah, yeah man. Yeah. I'm psyched. Uh, you know, you, you came in my inbox, your name, I, re- I read the bio, and I said, I gotta, I gotta get these folks on the show. What you're doing here really resonates with the Restaurant Unstoppable mission, man, to just challenge the status quo. 
and to, yeah. and to try to grow every day and, and try really to challenge the business model, right? So you're doing that. Uh, I can't wait to unpackage how you got to where you are today and how you're making an impact here in your community and in your staff. But let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra. What do you got for us? Uh, I kind of live by uh, under promise over deliver, you know, under promise over deliver. Why is that your, your mantra? Um, like, uh, you know, working in the restaurant business, a lot of people come in for stages and, and, you know, he never wanted to be that one guy that talked about his, his hyped himself up, talked about what he, what he was able to do, who he worked for. And then you saw him behind the stove and he just didn't deliver. And then there would be those people that didn't say a word and let their cooking do the talking and just like delivered on all the things. And, and, and at, at, in one moment, and I just like, I'm not going to be that guy that talks himself up only to disappoint people. I want to be that guy that comes, you never see him coming. And then he just proves it with what he does and what he's able to produce and how capable he can be. I love that, man. I really do. And it makes me think too, this idea, like I think when you promise the world to people and you have great, you know, audacious goals and you promise the world to people, sometimes you can fall short of those goals. So if you, if you kind of stay conservative and be careful about what you promise, but have the expectation to be great. Yes. It's when you blow those expectations out of the water that makes you stand it's, out. It's a more powerful impact. Yeah. You're, 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 you're actually mitigating expectation with every intention of yeah. superseding it, right? Yeah. Like I'm going to blow you away. And that's my intention. But even if you talk it up, if you're too good of a talker, no matter how good you are, you still might let them down, right? Which is a really a bad way to end the interaction, right? Ironically, too, I think that's where a lot of um, con artists get their name. And I don't think they intend to be. Some people are flat out con artists, right? Yeah. They, they're manipulating you. Other people, I think, get labeled as con artists because they... They believe they have the intention to do great things. They make promises and then you buy into it because they sell it well, the vision. Yeah. And then they fall short, and they, but they have your money because <laughs> yeah. you invested. It's, oh, you're a con artist. I think it's, it's important to be careful about what you promise because you yes. don't want to become an accidental con artist. Correct. Uh, this is a great way to get this thing started, man. I'm really enjoying the conversation straight out of the gate. But uh, where does it make sense to start sharing your story, man? Like, Take us back to the beginning. Yeah, I mean, I, I, mean, I grew up uh, son of an immigrant family, so like the, the food and the, the, the table was a very important thing in our in our in my culture and I'm Portuguese and um, Sunday dinners in my grandmother's basement with the whole family got together it kind of like that had a long-lasting impression on me that I didn't necessarily realize in the moment um, but I, I definitely have a passion and a romanticism about food and, and the way it brought my family together constantly um, 15 I washed dishes all through high school and then in college I worked in restaurants all through college never actually considering it a profession. Uh, and then I got a job as a probation officer, Union County Probations, and wanted to be a lawyer. Uh, I got accepted to law school and then realized after about six months in probation and being in the court system up front and up close and personal, I was like, this is soul-sucking. <laughs> yeah, what, what was soul-sucking about it? Uh, the corruption, the just like the way it was run, the... the the defeated defeatism. I, I thought I was going to be making more of an impact and helping people. And, um, I just like it, it really wears you down that how nobody else does want to make a difference. Like that's not why people are in their positions. That's not what the roles are for. And it just really felt like I was in the wrong place and that was not going to make the impact I wanted to. And, I was just like, I need to do something else in my life. So how long were you going? You said six months before? Yeah, six, just months. six months. It's all it took. Wow. It's how, all it took. <laughs> how many years did it take to get you to that point where you could even be in that position to turn to walk away from it? 
Uh, no, I mean, I got to start, it was my first job out of college. So I graduated Seton Hall and got a job in probations, and I was going to go to Seton Hall Law. And I was going to work do that during night school while I was working. So you never got your law degree. You never, no. Okay, but but working in the court system, court system kind of gave you a preview of what you're signing up for. Correct. I got it. Got it. Um, so six months in, you decide, you know, this isn't for me. Do you have any clue what's next? I mean, I, I, the only thing I was left with is this enjoyment of or how I f- spent my time in the restaurants during college, right? So I worked in restaurants on weekends. I worked in catering companies. I did all different aspects of the industry I knew didn't pay well, and I knew that the hours sucked, but I enjoyed my time in the kitchen. I enjoyed my day. What did you enjoy about it? Uh, camaraderie. Um, I like getting... Um, knowing that you did something well or did something poorly within seconds like that like constant knowing how you're doing by whether or not the chef is yelling at you or whether or not something is like there's a constant gratification of your day there's always like a pat on the back to be had or a pat on the head whatever it is like hypothetically or the cookie right yeah cookie right so like that instant gratification kind of model it was enjoyable for me. I mean, for me, that's exactly what it is too, man. It's just this idea that you, it's, it's instant gratification that you know you're doing a job well. And also if you know that if you're not doing it well, you're going to know that right away. Yeah. And there's also an opportunity to like, to make it, you can always write the end of the story. Like Danny Meyer says, like it just because the first impression wasn't that great. doesn't mean that's the end of the story. So you can in the moment, turn it around. You have so much control. And there's always tomorrow. Like we have a bad service. Like, you know, you get an opportunity tomorrow. Tomorrow will be better. Like we're, going to learn from this we're going to be better like there's always an opportunity tomorrow's a new day there's always going to be another group of people coming in and at this point did you know you had a natural talent for cooking did anybody see that in you because when you were working in restaurants were you back of house i'm assuming that yeah i was all back of house yeah um and and i wasn't i was superstitious i was superstitious so that in in itself lent itself to cooking so if i did something right i wanted the same corner of the stove the same pan the same (laughs) like i was superstitious and those kind of attention to detail kind of thing kind of made me good like maybe more so than people I didn't know why I was doing it. I didn't know about surface area and constant heat. And there's so many things that were actually happening that I didn't know about, but I just knew that if I use this pan and use that part of the stove and it always came out, I saw patterns, (laughs) right? And then was superstitious. I'm going to do that exactly the same way. (laughs) Um, And that worked for me for a really long time. So at what point are you thinking to yourself, maybe there's a career in this for me? How long Um, did that take? I think the most powerful thing in life is when you kind of put your 100% energy into one thing. It's not so much what you choose, it's the choice of committing, right? Um, and I think once I went from, I had this whole plan of being a lawyer and working, I had the whole life mapped out. And I thought once I realized it wasn't making me happy, I was like, I'm going to go all in on cooking. I don't know what it'll be. I don't know what my life is going to look like if I do do this because I knew you know, being a celebrity chef or anything like that is like one in a million. Like it's not what people do. Um, so I was like, but I knew that I wanted to commit a hundred percent and I wanted to do something with all my heart and soul. So I think that's a powerful thing. Yeah, man. I actually had somebody on the show to talk specifically about the power of one and yeah. the whole idea of one thing and putting all of your energy into one thing. Think of it as like a magnifying glass, mm-hmm. right? When you focus that energy into one spot, you can make a, a much bigger burn mark. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's what's happening when you're, when you're getting intentional with your life, you're taking all this, this energy that you have and you're, and you're, po- you're pointing it at 
knocking down an obstacle. Right? Uh, so, so once you made this commitment to this is my one thing, what, yeah. what was this? I mean, was it a broader one thing? Was it just cooking in general or did you have a specific niche in cooking? You want no, to was on? cooking in general and I wanted to be the, the, the best at it. So like I was in culinary school in 2002 so that would like Bobby Flay was just on Boy Meets Grill and then Food Network and those things were starting to happen. So I was like, I want to work for Bobby Flay. You know, like that's let's let's this this is the way we go. You know, so I got a job at Mesa Grill and, um, you know, from there, you know, I hopped around. I worked at you know for Michael White and Burrell, Eleven Madison Park. Um, I just kept kind of searching out the more um, high end fine dining. If I was if I was going to do it, I wanted to do it in the best environments. Is that the white is that that's not the same white heat white is it no Marco that's marco pierre white, white. marco pierre right yeah. sorry uh, michael uh, white is uh maria Astero marini that's right, that's right, that's right. yeah uh, so i mean i could also point out that what you did is exactly what i would tell anybody to do like go work for the best you know you are the average of those you surround yourself with and um what made you go to culinary school first though? I'm curious about that. Why did you think that was the right path after already going through school? I'm imagining yeah. you're already in debt at this point. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so what so was really, going through your mind? I finally made my last uh, student loan payment. <laughs> Congratulations. Last year. Yeah, dude. That's, that's great. A big thing. Um, <laughs> How uh, old I, are you I, in 2002? 2002. I was 22. Okay. So like fresh out of college, fresh like a year out of college. Out of college yeah. Basically. I was six months in one thing and then like, Nope, I instantly pivoted. Um, and, uh, I went to ICE and they had a culinary program. I wanted to know the vocabulary. I didn't want to f- feel so much uh, like a fish out of water. And also I didn't know, you know, much about food and the industry. Like what were the best restaurants? Like, oh, there's a Zagat guide. Like I didn't know that. I, like, I worked in kitchens. I worked yeah. in restaurants, but I didn't work in fine dining restaurants. Right. right? So I, didn't, I wanted to get an idea of the vocabulary. And I knew they didn't want to do the whole program. I just got a certificate in culinary. Like it was like a one to eight months to a one year program, something like that. I don't remember exactly. Got it. Um, and I just wanted to get some verbiage. I knew that I wasn't going to learn how to be a chef in one you year. A crash you know, course. I, mean? I, like, I want a crash course the big in, picture, in the, the big picture. Correct. Yeah, the culture. Of, so of I kitchen. wouldn't feel like a fish out of water yeah. too much. Smart. I at least kind of navigate also, Was it a community school? I C E no, it's like uh it's some of those things you see on the commercials on, on Food Network. It's like uh it's in the World Trade Center in, in New York. Got it. So when you left this experience, how did you leave feeling? Culinary school? Yeah. Um excited to get started. Yeah. Yeah. I was like ready ready to get started. And you, you said it was the, the T V that got you hooked on Bobby Flat, right? Yeah. Um yeah. How'd you get your foot in that door? I feel like at this point in your career, at this point in his career, there must have been a line to get to yeah. go work for him. No, so I, I like knocked in the back door, and I was like, "Oh, I'm willing to work." And I was like, uh, "Can I? Can I trail? Can I stage? Can I do whatever?" And then they said, "Sure, come in." And I, I worked a day, and I was like, "You know, can I? Can I? Can I stay? Can I? Can I get a, a job?" I'm like, well, we're not hiring right now. I was like, "I'll come in tomorrow for free. I'll come in for free until you let me." let me stay. <laughs> They're like, what? <laughs> I was like, yeah, I'll come in for free until you let me stay. So I worked a week and then he hired me. But you know, you won't work more than a month before they just tell you that it's not yeah. going to work out because you're not a right culture fit or somebody leaves and there's a job opening. Exactly. And this is such a common storyline in, in my interviews is just show up. That's half the battle is just showing up and, uh, uh, like like I said, eventually that that opportunity. If, and if you're a good fit, people in this industry know to hang on to good people if they're a right yeah. match. Like they don't let good people go. 
I know that now. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know that then. Yeah. I know that now. Like if you're you come in with the right attitude and you you you're competent and you fit in the, with the culture and you make an attempt to fit in with the culture, that's all it really takes. Give us a little more guidance on that. If somebody's listening to this and maybe they're at this point in their career where you're at and they 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 want to approach a restaurant, how do you walk that line of like not like being disrespectful? Like I'm not leaving. Like, yeah. like you know, like how <laughs> like how do you balance that? Um. Yeah, persistence is nice, uh, but it can't be. Don't come off too strong. You just have a little bit of like persistence, but humbleness to you as well. I think uh, it's it's all about being part of the culture, right? So if you come on too strong and too willful, too forceful, you might be exactly what they're not looking for. Right. So just read the temperature of the room and just the gentle. There's a thing that Danny Meyer says, like gentle, constant pressure. Constant, yeah. Like constant, ge- gentle pressure. pressure yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that take that approach with wanting a job, constant, gentle pressure. You can't come on too strong, but you have to show that you're willing to be constant and you're not going to respect pre- boundaries, respect boundaries and yeah. things like that. So yeah. that's be the approach, constant, gentle pressure yeah. about it, wanting something really badly. Cause you, there are situations where like, especially if it's a stash, like that restaurant tour, that chef, built a culture and they have a way of doing things. You can't just go in, you know, grabbing the bull by the horns and trying to run the kitchen. You know, mm-hmm. you're, you're very much observing early on. Right. So finding that balance, but knowing, but, but communicating through, through your persistence that you're, that you want something more. Right. Yeah. Um, and also I think graciousness, you know, just yeah, being graciousness. Yeah, yeah, man. Huge. Just, like being huge. grateful goes a long way. People can tell when you're grateful. And honestly, like manners. Yeah. Some young people don't have manners anymore. It's really like, I mean, not that I care, but it's like some people just don't have manners. I feel bad for them. I'm like, I don't mind. I You can be rude to me and it's fine, but like you're not going to get far in life if you don't say please and thank right. you. Like there's like little, little things that like other people get way more offended than I do. I'm like, they just don't have, and I don't blame them. They weren't, you know, they, they never got taught, you right. know, or something like it's not intentional. I don't think. Yeah. And I think that's part of the, the, the storyline too, is like, listen, it's our responsibility as mentors, as leaders to give people these skills. Yeah. Uh, we, we hire young people in this industry yep. and not everybody came from the same privilege of, of whether or not they ha- were given those, those, key those, skills, those yeah. skills. Exactly. Right. So, I got to ask man, what was it like working for Bobby? Was it everything you dreamed? <laughs> it was really great. Actually, it was one of the best kitchen cultures to this day. I, I almost like I, it, it was a, almost a mistake going there first because like, I thought every restaurant kitchen was going to be this cool and this fun. And this, like he had a really great, uh, CDC Neil, uh, who is like super, uh, inspiring and like, Again, not a screamer, not a yeller. They we would meet up in the park on Saturdays before our shift and play soccer as a as a as a as a kitchen staff. Like there were a lot of really really cool things that that kitchen had and a lot of great qualities that I took for granted having it been my first um, job. So there was a sense of camaraderie, yeah, uh, of coming together. But what do you think Bobby did to develop this culture? Like, what are the things that you try to mimic to try to recreate what he had then? Well, it starts at the leader. It starts with leadership. So he had wanted to make a willful choice to have that culture, right? And then Neil, his CDC, again was in the same mold again with wanting to have good culture. It starts with um, setting proper expectations, uh, teaching more, yelling less. Um, It's uh, taking ownership as a leader for the for the miscues of your staff and. 
and finding a different message or a different way to deliver the message so that they can finally get it. You know, having a little more patience than the next person. Um, it's little, little addition of a lot of little details that create good culture. It's not a one size fits all kind of thing. Which element um, of the culture do you think was most perf- like impactful? On I think that? I think the patience and the teaching aspect. You know, I was young; it was my first job, so um, I knew that I wasn't doing certain things right. But they were like, "Well, you're not paying attention to this detail. You're not paying that." And and I thought that they they communicated what they wanted really well. Give me an example of how they would communicate something. So like, so I was fresh out. Of, this one, I guess this is a vivid one in my mind. Um, I'm, I'm on the saute station and, he, you know, he would walk over to me. He's like, you know that that knob underneath the, the stove right there, you see that knob? It's not a light switch, right? It's not just max or off. It's, a, it's got degrees on it <laughs> and it's useful to not constantly hammer everything you put in the pan. Like the, the cooking isn't black and white. It's not too, it's not that easy. So like use the dial. Like it's not everything requires maximum heat. Not everything is just that or off. Right. So it was like a lesson like, Oh man, that, that makes so much sense. Like, like use the degrees, like use the knob. It's a purposeful thing. It's not an on and off switch. The it's, patterns. Right? Yeah. I'm like, <laughs> Oh, this makes so much sense. Um, but like just, you know, cause he was saying, no, slow it down. slow it down. I wasn't understanding what he meant by slow it down. He meant, Reduce the heat. Reduce the heat. Yeah. And I wasn't getting it. And eventually he's like, you know, there's a knob, right? Do you know why there's a knob? Because it's not supposed to just be one way or the other. Like, use the degrees and thing. Lower the yeah. heat. Take yeah. more time. Life doesn't, like, things are more patient. But it sounds like the, the big part is he didn't, like, c- attack you. No, correct. Like, correct. He, he wasn't, And like, he found he, a different way to communicate. He was trying to communicate it that I wasn't understanding the communication. And a lot of people get upset after that. Like, they'll just go right to get off the line or they'll, they'll start yelling and then you shut down a little bit. He was saying the same thing, but he didn't realize that I wasn't understanding how he was trying to communicate the same thing. So he found another way he, to kind of visualize it for me. He's like, look, it's a knob. Yeah. It's not an on and off switch. <laughs> like, and that, that visualization of picturing a knob versus an on and off switch totally put into perspective what he was trying to say and how he was trying awesome to Awesome example, man. Thank you very much. So yeah. how long were you with Bobby? Uh, it was about a year. Were you working directly under him, or was Bobby off? Oh, doing Bobby his was own off thing? doing yeah. a lot of things at the time. It was yeah. really Neil and um, yeah, and I was just a like low man on the totem pole. Yeah. Starting Garmage, got the saute, and then I eventually left. I know you just said it. You said it was about a year. Yeah, about a year. About a year. Why? Why did you leave? What was the reason for leaving? A friend of mine got a a job. Um, I think it was uh, Sarah Marini was opening or. What was the next job? No, I went to Love Madison Park. My friend got into Love Madison Park, and he was like, "Big things are happening here. Got to come." Was this around the time Will Gardero was taking over? Not yet. No, okay. it was before. It was uh, the very end of the Carrie Heffernan stage at, um, and then Jared came in to replace, and then it was like the one right. Because yeah, this would have been like two thousand three, two thousand four, two thousand four. Got it. Yeah. Uh, so about two or three years before Will. Yes. And, uh, the new chef. Um, uh, Daniel Hum. Hum, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm always afraid I'm saying that name. Right? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, amazing things that they're doing over there. Uh, but he's an inspiration. Yeah, to- is an totally. Inspiration. Yeah. Uh, their book was incredible. I don't know if you had a chance to pick that one up yet. Uh, yeah. Unreasonable Hostility. Yeah. I think we'll talk about that one later. But um, uh, I mean, I guess what, what I'm really curious about, because I don't want to spend too much time in the early part of your life, right? But you, you were at 11 Madison Park for a period. Mm-hmm. Uh, you were with Anthony uh, Boku for a period. Uh, Michael White, we mentioned. Um, it wasn't until 2016 that you became a partner here at Heritage. Yeah. Or not Heritage, Heirloom. Heirloom thank you. Um, what, reflecting back at that 
2004 to 2016, 12 year period. Just take us on stops where you think you grew the most, where you were handed the most responsibility, where you had to evolve as a professional. Where were those sure. stops for you? I think uh, there's a most of the stops are mistakes. Okay. I think you learn more from one mistake than you do ten successes. That's kind of like the ratio I've got in my head as far as like <laughs> far, right? teaching moments. Um, I, at one point, I tried to open up my own business. That, that I partnered with someone who. Um, kind of stole money from me and then that went to court and that was like a huge like blow up in my life. Where was this on the timeline? This was 2010. Okay. So still six years before your partner. Yep. Your and that was like a really big moment. Cause like I, at that point I felt like I've never really failed in my life. Like I made mistakes. I was, but I was always doing something that I thought was like building towards something. And then when you invest your money and your parents' money, like, well, it was my parents' money. It wasn't mine. I didn't have any. I was paying student loans and making a, <laughs> a salary from working in the kitchen. I didn't have any. So I borrowed money from my parents. And, um, yeah, that put me in a depression kind of thing. So, Were yeah. there any other mistakes you made before this? Um, no, I think, I think like even, okay, maybe I went to a job I didn't like so much, but I think it's really important all right, to not pick and choose too discerningly your next career choice, especially when you're young. Cause I, I think it's important to know what you don't want as well. Mm-hmm. And, and it like, you know, being spending a year in a kitchen, even a one that you don't particularly like, or, but you'll learn exactly why you don't like it and what to avoid when you become a chef. So it, yeah. not every job has to be a perfect stepping stone right. to the next job, and, to the next perfect. And there's job not just one way to do it. Totally. There's a million different ways to yeah. do it. And the, the chef you might be working for the restaurant tour, you might be working for, it might be doing it that certain way because that's the way that works best for them mm-hmm. with their strengths, with their weaknesses, with yep. their values, with their goals. You got to give yourself that perspective. You got to get under out from underneath certain umbrellas to, to see the bigger picture sometimes yeah. uh, and what, what makes sense for you and the way you exist on this planet. So 100%, I absolutely agree with that. So before opening in 2010, your first attempt at a restaurant, yep. what, what experiences made you think you were ready? Like, where did you get to that point where you're like, I have nothing else to learn. Like I'm going to go over my own place. Um, I had uh, done a six month stage in Portugal at a two star Michelin restaurant. Uh, it's called Villa Joya. And I had come back, um, and, uh, it was a free stage. I didn't get paid, but I thought I was going to be collecting unemployment when, when I was gone. Cause I had applied for it, but it never went through. So when I got back, I didn't have any money and I had a lot of bills that were like long past due. So I started working in New Jersey cause I could get a little bit more money and couldn't afford to travel into the city at that point. What year is it when you came back? Uh, 2008. Okay. So two years before opening your own two place. Two years before opening my own place. And I ended up in Montclair, uh, New Jersey. And I, I found a job that paid really well. The most, most money I'd been making at the time, a lot of it was cash. <laughs> it's always nice. Yeah, yeah. Especially <laughs> when you have school. debt. You yeah. Know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So um, I, I was kind of making up for it. And I was in, now it felt like a bigger fish in a smaller pond compared to where everything I had done up until that point. I'd been working in New York City. I'd, been, I'd done this two-star Michelin trail in Europe. And this need for money put me in a, to go to get a job that I needed to choose money over the quality of the place but um, I, I took a job as a sous chef in this restaurant in Montclair and I realized I was so much better than everyone um, the chef wanted me to be the chef at the place um, and you know I politely declined um, and then it was in that restaurant that I met the guy that I partnered with to open up he had another space and he's like you should really make your own restaurant you 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 I was kind of reading my own clippings sort of at the I had gone from all these really 
feeling like a little fish in a big pond and then now feeling like a big fish in a little pond and I was like kind of let that get to my head a little yeah. bit like you got right, you mean I'm ready. A thing yeah, I'm ready now like this is it this is this is the time this guy the guy found this strike while the iron's hot exactly I'm never gonna get another opportunity yeah like this, this is the moment you know so I kind of talked myself <laughs> into it um and that you know again um that was what I learned that 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 people can be con artists that people can use your own pride and ego against you like giving you compliments, building you up just so that they can. Yeah. And I'm not about bring like dragging people's name through the mud. So we don't need to mention names no, or anything no. like that. But like, how did this, pos- this person position it in a way that knowing what you know now sure. would have been some red flag. So if oh, something's totally. happening like this to us, we can be like, Whoa, 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 Whoa. What about yeah. ABC? Um, well, those are, these are now like more, uh, I, more like uh, personality traits. Um, he was uh, very much a superficially focused. He was into compliments. He was he did little niceties, um, and but he was also I felt like uh, could easily lie, you know. And and I caught him in a few lies that should be a, a really like a, like a insignificant things to lie about uh, is a really big tell for me now. Like if you lie about um, I don't know what kind of car you drive. Like that? Why? Why would you care? Why, why would I care what kind of car you drive? Yeah. Why, why would you lie about that? That's yeah. such an insignificant thing to lie about. Right. Grown adults, like I don't care what you drive. Like that is a huge red flag. Yeah, yeah. like that's integrity. Integrity. Honestly. There's like, there, yeah. and there was little things like that that, and I just kind of excused him away because I wanted so badly to be the head, like have my own restaurant. Yeah, like, I and, wanted so bad. And you're not alone, man. That's what people do. They get the blinders on. Yeah, they're like, I have a chance to make it. Like whatever it takes. They're like, there is no other option. And I think, you know, like that's a strength and a weakness for humans. Like, cause it's like you mentioned earlier, what's your core Magnifying focus? Glass, your yeah. one thing, <laughs> right? And our frontal lobe kicks into hyper like mode and like, we start knocking down obstacles and whatever it takes to get there. But sometimes we need to take a step back yeah. and like, say like, you know, I'm 28 years old. Like I, there, there'll be other opportunities. Like, yeah. is this the right fit? Yeah. Um, so any other lessons as far as like red flags, uh, as far as maybe what like the partnership agreement might have looked like or the financing? Um, no, I mean, I didn't really, um, it wasn't that crazy of a partnership agreement. It wasn't anything like that. He had lied on financial bank statements. He had, he had a, uh, he was a junior. He, he had, so he had his father's bank statements with his name on them. Oh, okay. Kind of thing. So like, so those were all fake. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so it's like a lot of like a lot of things. This that is happened. a con artist. Yeah, yeah. No, it was straight up. And yeah. I didn't I gotta say I've never been exposed to that level of deception. And and he worked in like I said, it was he was overly thoughtful. Like he would never show up without a cup of coffee for someone else. He would you know, like it was just like a a, a lot, a lot of little like niceties and, and a lot of overly Somebody, dependence on his the way he was perceived by everyone around him because I think he was so nervous about getting caught and the people that did know that what wasn't on the surface wasn't real. He wanted to make sure more people thought the surface was real than the ones that didn't. Got so it. he's kind of very image focused. And that was another red flag for me. So what was the partnership going to look like? You're obviously going to be back of house talent. He was going to be front of house. He was a general manager of the restaurant I was working at at the time. And was he talented at doing his job? Yeah. Like I said, niceties are yeah. go a long way when you're being yeah. a front of house person. So like I thought that just was his nature from being front of house oriented. Right. But it was it was more of the uh, opposite. And, and was he a partner in this restaurant group? He said that you know you need to go do your own thing. The, what, the, had he opened other restaurants in the past? Was he had had opened another restaurant in the past uh, that didn't wasn't successful, okay. uh, and he had blamed that you know not being partnered with the right chef and that I'm the right person and he's been in this industry a lot longer than me and that he knows that I'm the right person. Yeah, said all the things that massaged my ego nice like perfectly. So what was the restaurant? 
Like, uh, it's going to be called Salute Day in Montclair. So, so did it ever open? It did open under him. Like we eventually, after two years of legal issues, eventually uh, he found someone to buy me out. Um, I lost a little bit of money on the game, the deal, but I feel like it was a valuable lesson that I learned and worth every penny. What were the biggest lessons there? I mean, we already talked about the partnership, but like no, the the ego, the 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 over uber confidence that sometimes you like running through red lights and stop signs that, that life gives you like the feeling like wanting something so bad that yeah. you were willing to blow past right. certain red flags right. and is a lesson to slow I, down and like i give all my my guests a, a, a warning before the interview starts i'm like we're going to talk about awkward stuff you sure. know and like we get into like partnerships and things like this but um I mean, is there any like other like specific detail, like something like one thing that you did uh, aside from selecting the wrong partner, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, The, the, the intricacies of business that you know now wasn't the right thing to do as far as anything like along those lines, specifics. Um, I probably was, you know, I don't think I wouldn't recommend opening up a restaurant uh, if you've never been a head chef before. And now that I've done it, I've opened up a few restaurants now. (laughs) Um, Why is that? Uh, I don't think I, I was properly ready for the crown. Like, as a sous chef or as a second in command, I think you don't know the the weight of the responsibilities, the the weight of you know when bills are due and, and the stresses of the actual monetary part of the job so, on top of the stresses of your prep list and the, the team. And there's a lot of ways to like focus your energy. I think you need. I think I w- I did much better every time. I started another project. Like the next project was much smoother than the project before that one. So it's all the new responsibilities that you get as a leader. Like, like, what were those things? The things that you do great now, reflecting back then, that you probably could have been doing better. What were those things? I think um, dealing with the 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 weight of the pressure. Right. Like, I I come in and I put all my feelings aside too because I know what my how I come in and my my mood how that trickles to the rest of the team. Being self-aware. Being self-aware. And I don't know if I would have the uh, capacity to carry the weight of all the things and all the responsibilities that I do have now and still wear the smile on my face. I I was much more reactionary, much more um, emotional. I don't know how I would have been. I would have been a monster. Uh, This is going back 15 years ago. Yeah, it's a long time. Uh, 13 years ago. 13 years ago. So you were 22 in 2004. So you what? You're 26 in the storyline at this point. Uh, I was 24 in 2004. 24. Um, uh, I'm, I was born 1980, so it's always the same number as the year. Go. It makes it easy. So in 2010, right? 2010, I was 30 years old. 30 years old, and yeah. this is just around the time th- that for males, like the frontal lobe, just f- finishes fully developing. So they say between like 26 to 30 is oh, when cool. like the, the frontal lobe for a male fully develops. And that's where that emotional intelligence lives. And gotcha. that self, the peak of emotional and social, and social intelligence is self-awareness, is being aware of like, what is my energy right now? What am I bringing into this, this room? And like take, knowing to take a breath and to, sh- to shift your perspective in that moment so you're not bringing the team down. Correct. Like, you don't know this stuff until you, you get experience and you become self-aware of how your energy Agreed. affects Agreed. people. And Is I don't it, think I had that maturity. Yeah. Like whether I was developed enough to, to learn it or not, I didn't have it. I know I didn't have it. And um, I know I didn't have it after that because my next head, when the next job I had, I was a, a line cook. And then when I finally got an opportunity to be a chef de cuisine uh, for a guy named Zod, um, you know, I was 
a yeller. I was not nice. I would uh, never <laughs> guess that, dude. You have yeah. this, even from the moment I walked into this place, your your demeanor has been so cool, calm, and collected. Uh, I am, yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it took like a bunch of people walking out on you and like having to deal with this constant stress of like you bring, know. Bring me to a moment where somebody like where somebody walking out when your attitude fucked you over. Yeah, um, bring me to one of those times. No, I mean, like, you know, not taking someone off their station and get the hell out of my kitchen. Like, you're, you're, you suck right now. Like, you're what, you know, I just didn't have real leadership skills. How'd that come back to bite you? Um, it was the stress of never having a full kitchen staff or, or, or complaining to someone one day that I was like constantly training people on the station because someone else is leaving. And every time I plug one hole, another hole happens. And, and how these all you feel? Stress. Like, where were you emotionally during all this? You know, I was angry and and annoyed, and someone told me like he's like, "What well, was that? Your fault? Like, aren't you <laughs> yeah. kind of like doing all the?" the and I kind of started. I, I changed my mantra. I I listened, and I was like, "You're right." Well, how would I go about changing it? And like, so I do this like Uber accountability thing. I started practicing what I called Uber accountability. Let's pretend that I had God given powers to to correct every single mistake that happens within the walls of my restaurant how would i go about doing it if i actually could if everything was my fault whether or not the hostess sat someone at the wrong table if that was my fault how could i prevent her from doing that again perhaps the seating chart is too complicated perhaps i should color, color code the seating comp the, the seating chart there's probably something i could do yeah, to a, make something kink much in the more chain there's a kink in the chain yeah. maybe i can do something about it right? right maybe i should take on the responsibility of doing something about it maybe my job should be less worrying about the prep list and more worrying about how i can organize the kitchen better so that they can do more on their prep list and i can do less and maybe and, i should go back to my times with bobby flay's restaurants where yeah. they, they took the time to teach <laughs> to me teach and coach me, me up so i can do the thing absolutely absolutely so that's how i started changing my ethos in the kitchen and what happened was i started keeping cooks for two three years at a time as opposed to having a revolving door in the back of the kitchen with people coming in and out and when you start to teach people when you keep continuity your food can then develop your food can then grow you can't grow if you're doing the same dish over and over again with a different person and teaching the one thing over and over again but if they master something now you can teach them a second thing and if they master those two things, now I can teach you a third thing. And eventually, and, they're working <laughs> every station in the restaurant, totally. including server and <laughs> chef. Well, so we're going to get to that. Too. It's, it's, it just becomes a thing where you add on more and more things to the plate. I love that, man. Uh, so you, you, this is where it sounds like you transform the most. You pivot yes. the most as a professional, as a leader. Um, what was different about the next time you opened a restaurant or you became or offered partnership in a restaurant. How was that different from the previous time? When did um, I, how did they even come to your, your your table? So I'll talk about really quick uh, the, the promise of partnerships and why that's not fun. Um, I, I don't. I, I think that it's really you have to be really careful uh, when you're offered partnership. It's uh, you have to you have to um, interview the source as much as they're interviewing you for, they always make everybody who offered, I had been offered partnership in a couple of times. And, and I'll, I'll tell the story of my friend who got left the Meadowood to start a mission restaurant three, right when it became three stars, got lured to New Jersey to spearhead a restaurant group, got offered partnership and was there for six years, created the fucking thing. And then, as soon as he was ready to leave, do his own thing, go move back home to Milwaukee. To so open where's my own, cut? He's like, where's my cut? They gave him a check for $2,000. Damn. And that's what 
he took less salary to get a partnership stake and the company grew by two or three restaurants while he was there to do what he was doing and he got a check for $2,000. What didn't he do that he should have done? You have to be really, really sure, right, that when you are offered partnership that you know because there's a lot of ways to hide money and you have to, you have to vet the person who's offering you. It's more important than the offer is who is offering it to you. So not the person person that's talking to you, but where's the source? Where's the source, right? Ultimately, I think now I don't do partnership deals. Uh, I do management deals. I want percentage of gross. I want percentage of, of what I'm bringing in the door. If it give me 1%, give me 2%. Yeah. More so than a promise of a carrot at the end of the stick down the road. When you leave that they'll, you'll get percentage of this or that um, restaurants don't make a huge amount of money and you can show losses in lots of different ways. And it, it just like you, there's so many ways to screw somebody out of anything right. with that partnership. So did this friend of yours actually own stake in the business or was it the stake that he owned evaluated at that moment in time? And that's they what said they that at that moment in time that this was the evaluation of the business and that's what his portion is worth. Was there writing anywhere that said that this is what... Because, I mean... And at the end of the day, what he would have to do is then he was moving to Milwaukee, so he would have to lawyer up, stay around, and fight for what he wanted. And even then, you know, they can show losses and a lot of things. The restaurant was growing. The company was growing. So they were saying that the losses in the company from opening this restaurant and this restaurant negates any profits being had, and therefore, the valuation is this. Okay. So, I mean... (laughs) I, I, it's weird because I, I think we're moving into a world where you almost need partners to get the job done because Just the be world is who your partner yeah with. It's really really important. So like it's it's good to have these types of conversations to recognize a good partnership opportunity and a bad partnership yes. opportunity. And one thing that I do see that I do like is this this mindset of of I think Uptown Social is doing this in Charleston. Um, and what they do is they basically, if you're a member of the team, they say, okay, this is the EBITDA of the business. It's worth a million dollars. You want to buy in a percentage? It's one point. That's $10,000. If you want to be a partner, you got to give us $10,000, right? Is that math right? A million, yeah. $10,000? Yeah. yeah. $10,000. Um, so that's how they, so they, they literally sell points to their team, uh, but now they own that equity. So here's the thing. You're eliminating people who aren't serious mm-hmm. and you're making it low enough that they can get in. Now they own equity and they're doing profit sharing thereafter. Okay. So I think that's like, that's really cool. Yeah. So there's that's ways really to do cool. it well, but I think both sides have to be educated on what's a good deal. Yeah. Right. Or just don't be an asshole and offer somebody a shit deal. Yeah. That's yeah. the other variable. Like yeah. Take care of people. It's about creating opportunity for others. Correct. Um, sorry. This is your time to shine. No, <laughs> no, you're right. No, this is, like when you asked me about partnerships, I was like, you know, I, I, I I was dangled that many times in my career. And um, I, I know the sob story of my friend. And I, I know that I felt like it was always like a, a carrot and a stick that they could screw me out of in the long run. Um, and I was never, I was very leery of it. Um, and not until I met the partner I'm with now that uh, it made a financial sense for me because I trusted them. I had, you know, interviewed them as much as they interviewed me. I had a relationship. Uh, we were, I was with working for the company for six months before we had the conversation of partnership. I had known this person intimately as a work relationship for six months, and yes. I was like, there was like, there was some equity there. Okay, I will partner with you. Yeah. I trust you. I've now worked with you for six months. Now this seems like an interesting prospect for me. Yeah. But it was like, I had that gut feeling with this one person. 
Um, I think that there's some sort of has to be some sort of you have to have some sort of vetting process for whoever you're going to be a partner with because it's a very important thing. Like it's a relationship. You're, yeah, it's it's important. And I think this is one of the best ways to find partners is to go to work and go go surround go go work for the best. Other people who are talented and passionate are going to also gravitate towards those people and develop your roots, develop your network. And, and this is where you meet your future business partners is working shoulder to shoulder with them for somebody else. 100. Finding somebody who compliments you and yeah. is strong where you're weak. And, and, and like you start That's to That's a wonderful truth. Like find someone who's strong where you're weak is, right. is a wonderful philosophy. It's really what life is about, truly. Yeah, yeah man. So I'm sure this is all going to come out in the story, but... So 2010, you, you fall on your face. You get mm. six more years of becoming a better leader, turning down partnership opportunities. <laughs> um, and then finally, one that crosses your table looks good. So I know it was in 2016 you became a partner, but were you working with Heirloom before they offered you partnership? I, got, I took the job in 2006. I didn't it? become a partner in 2006. I took the job as a head chef. So 2018 you became a partner, I think, maybe? Yeah, I think it was 2018. Yeah. So you, when did you join Heirloom Kitchen? So it's been seven years. We're in so 2016. 2016. November 2016. November 2016. So, um, wh- how did you make this transition? Why? Where were you before leaving Heirloom, and, and why did you join? I Heirloom? was I was in Asbury Park. I had opened up a, a Mexican restaurant in Asbury Park, and I don't tell me why. <laughs> <laughs> I was living in Jersey City in Hoboken. I had moved to Asbury Park for this opportunity because uh, a couple of people from a great restaurant group were involved in the project and. Um, I, I was willing to open up a Mexican restaurant to do it, and I not it wasn't very fluent in Mexican cuisine, but I was like, I'm going to do, you know, modern techniques with classical ingredients like Mexican ingredients, or you know, um, Jersey ingredients with classical Mexican, you know, and that's kind of how I was approaching that project, and it was it was very successful, but I was working a million hours, um, like so much so that I just had a, a newborn son. I was working a million hours. I was making one of the lowest paychecks I'd made to date. And I was almost ready to turn my back on the industry. I was like, bring really, us to that moment. Really, really. What was it? Like, tell, bring us to that emotional state where you're at. Yeah. I, you know, I just, you, you would explain away a lot of the mistakes. I'd, I'd explained away a lot of the mistakes I'd made, um, you know, partnering with the wrong people and things like that. Right. And, but I was still getting to the same result, and I thought I was more discerning this time with who I was partnering with, but I still ended up um, feeling used and feeling, um, you know, exhausted and not having any balance, and I'm like, what? my approach is wrong, and I can no longer justify blaming my situation, the person I'm with, my circumstances. These are all willful decisions that I'm making, and I'm very, very tired, very, very unhappy, and very, very broke. I'm living paycheck to paycheck. I'm, I'm having, for all the successes, for all the places I work, for all the people I work with, for all the things that I think I've done well, why can't I find any modicum of success? Like, what is wrong with me? Like, if I had done anything else this much, this passionately, for this long, I would, I would be way better off. What were you telling yourself? telling myself to quit right that was my talking myself into quitting that i would made a, a nice attempt at it but it was over and uh my partner neely had a cooking school in old bridge and she asked me to be a teacher a cooking teacher so your partner um, currently but she how did you know her she, at this point okay so i did know her she was a regular at the restaurant and she had invited me to do a dinner at the cooking school they she would do dinners like um like uh, yeah, dinners at the cooking school. So celebrities, like chefs, would come in, collaborate, and collaborate, and do a dinner. Each other. Yeah, 
So I had done a dinner and she was a regular at my restaurant and we were kind of friends, friendly. And um, I'd work with her in her school in between jobs. So the, the thing that they don't tell you in culinary school or in your early years, when you do become a head chef and when you actually know what you're doing, when you become very good at what you are, at what you're doing, it becomes very hard to find a job. <laughs> when Why you're a young that? cook, you can bounce around to any kitchen anywhere and bring your knives and you're good. But when you know what you're doing and you know how, many, how important it is to not waste your energy on worthless things and or the wrong people or the wrong project, you have to become discerning. And now it becomes very difficult to find a job. It becomes very difficult for the right opportunity, for the right people to collaborate, for the thing that is important. So um, I was looking for a job and then and Neely brought, and came to me and asked me if I wanted to teach in the meantime. And I was like, I, I'll definitely do that. I, I can use some extra money and and I would teach two, three days a week in our cooking school while I was looking for another job. And people would come in and out of that cooking school and I would meet new people. And that's how I got the job in Asbury Park. That's how I ended up in Asbury Park. Got it. So this is how Neely gets into your life. Yes. Uh, and how long were you guys like in each other's circle before the, they started to pull you in beyond the cooking school? Um, so at the point where I was deciding I wanted to quit cooking, Neely offered me the job as a teacher at the cooking school full time. And I, I turned it down. And she came back like a week later. She's like, I have this idea of turning this cooking school into a part-time cooking school part-time supper club so like friday saturday sunday you open up as a restaurant and two days a week or three days a week you teach a cooking class so kind of like a pop-up in a a, 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 a cooking school space yeah that's cool and i was like that sounds cool and at at least in this model i don't feel like it sounds like i'd be overworked yeah so i was like okay some of the things i was really unhappy with in my life was the amount of hours I was working for the little amount of money I was making. She was at least offering me something that didn't seem like it would be an abusive amount of hours. And in fact, um, it was so cathartic and, and, and wonderful an experience, like starting to work there and going through the process of, of opening this pop-up restaurant in this cooking school space. Like coming in two days a week where I would teach people how to cook was wonderfully beautiful like soul fulfilling a little bit, you know, like I was always so shocked at the littlest details that I would do that the people would be like so astounded, like little details and things like that were really soul filling. Uh, the impact I was making with instant gratification, yeah, instant gratification. Yeah. The thing I had forgotten I was even in this for. So you reconnected <laughs> what you fell in love with. What I fell in love That's with. That's awesome. Uh, the taking down the walls for this cooking school. People sat within five feet of the stove. It was like hibachi style, like because yeah. it was a cooking school. Yeah. That's why I think I could never be back of house because I don't get that cookie of seeing what the people experience the end. Well, so there's no there's no walls in my yeah. kitchen. Yeah. Like, I want people to see the people enjoying what they're doing. Like there's I want their connection to be there. I want you to see smiling faces. I want you to be able to. See catch a glimpse of someone taking the first bite yeah it's not about how pretty it looks on the plate when it goes out it's about how pretty that smile looks on that hundred, face a hundred when it goes down a hundred <laughs> yeah so this cooking school is bringing this amazing balance to my life and also the thing of when a, when a chef walks into a kitchen there's a ticking clock right there's x amount of prep that has to get done by x amount of time like by four o'clock and then the second the the five o'clock hits Every little ticket is a little time bomb. It's like it's like a little stress bomb, <laughs> like waiting for more urgency and more speed and more time. So like every second a chef walks in the building, he has this like little bit of weight on his shoulder. Not that it's anything I minded because honestly, I probably am a general and junkie and this is why I do this for a living. Not that I minded it so much, but it was really refreshing. Two days for the cooking school, I could like set up my week. I could work on a new dish in this like zenful way that I had never experienced without that clock ticking. 
I didn't, it didn't have to account for every second of my day when I walked in the door. I didn't have to squeeze my R&D in, the, in a half an hour I had between this thing and this thing. What did you this know? allow? It allowed me to be a chess player as opposed to checkers. Like I, could, I, could, I had balance. I felt better about everything I was doing. I was, it wasn't, and, and my dishes were much more thoughtful and my cooking got better. Like it was like this perfect balance that I never knew could exist for a restaurant. And it was by not being a restaurant. It was by being a cooking school and restaurant. So today, Heirloom is open four days a week as a restaurant. And we do cooking classes three days a week. So, so Heirloom Kitchen, mm-hmm. open four days a week as a restaurant. Then there's the Heirloom Cooking School. Is that what you're calling it? Yeah. Unofficially? Unofficial. And then you have the Social Club. Or is that separate? That's another That's another. Okay, that was again. another. So the original baby was so, a so, cooking school and restaurant. All right. I was wondering when I was doing my research if I was confusing the social club with the, with, the, with the supper club. So yes. the supper club was totally different. Totally different. The supper club was, is the, was the initial idea of heirloom. It. it was going to be this like little thing we do on the weekends. Um, but they be, that became so successful. And it became a revenue driver for the school. Like the People would come in for the restaurant and find out yeah. that we were a school. Yeah. People that did this classes wanted to come try the food at the restaurant. Yeah. So they, they were a complimentary duo. So that grew and grew until what it is today. So it started out as three days, uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday as a restaurant. And then we'd do two classes during the week. And now we do four days of service, three days of classes. We are open seven days a week. Yeah. And... And every cook spends uh, has two days off, and every cook um, does one cooking class a week. Got it. So we're about to take our first break to thank the sponsors. But before we dive into when you came on board full-time as a partner, why don't you paint the picture of the history of Heirloom Restaurant Group? Because it was, it was started by Nellie, correct? Mm-hmm. And her mother? Her and her mother opened yeah. up a cooking school, yeah. So that, it started as a, the cooking school. And did her mom eventually just transition out? Yes. Or, okay. Yes. Um, her, her mom transitioned out, and uh, we opened up the restaurant. And uh, it was Neely running it on her own with, with me as a head chef. Okay. Did I see some place you guys are bit life partners, too? Yes. Okay. I was wanting to make sure. That. Did I make that up in my head before no, I assumed that you guys are romantically involved? <laughs> that happened afterwards, too. Okay. So there's a whole other dynamic we can dive into. <laughs> yes, dive, there is. Like, I'm sure that will come up, too. So, um, so. Now, okay, let's take the quick break to thank our sponsors. We'll be right back to unpackage how this became a partnership. Recently on the show, you've been hearing it come up often. Restaurant Systems Pro. If you've become interested, I highly recommend you sign up for the Restaurant System Pro 60-day pilot program. This is something that's never been done before. This 60-day event is at no cost to you, but it's not for everyone. Fred Langley, CEO of Restaurant Systems Pro, will be leading a group of restaurateurs through the Restaurant Systems Pro software and setting up the system for your restaurant. Fred will be leading the training, supporting you, and holding you accountable. Typically, this costs $10,000 a month to have Fred in your restaurant, but during this no-cost-to-you 60-day training, he will be teaching you every process he does during the group coaching sessions, and nothing will be held back. During the 60 days, Fred will walk you through the Restaurant Systems Pro process and help you crush the following goals. Recipe costing cards, guidance in your books for accounting, cash control, sales forecasting with accuracy, checklist, budgeting for the entire year, scheduling for profit, more butts in seats, and that's not it. 
Often, the team at Restaurant Systems Pro helps restaurateurs out pro bono because their hearts go out to these folks. I mean, it's hard out there, but because of that, a lot of the time these restaurateurs don't follow through because they have no skin in the game. For that reason, there is an application process. Only those serious about making change in their operation will be accepted into this program. Are you interested? Then go to restaurantunstoppable.com slash RSP. That's RSP for Restaurant Systems Pro. Restaurantunstoppable.com slash RSP. All right, we're back in the year in your timeline. It's 2016. You're, you're doing two years uh, before becoming a partner. Yep. Um, what were the two years like? Well, how did your evolution, how did your relationship with the business and with your partner evolve? So, you know, we worked really well together. Um, Neely has been wonderful from the start. Um, she's a creative as well. She does all the social media for the restaurant. She, she like floats around the place. So we had a really good working relationship. Um, I've always was really honest with her and she was always really honest with me. And she, what my favorite quality about Neely was she's like, I'm not, I've never run a restaurant before, so I'm going to depose to you. I, I believe that you know the right decisions, and, and you should be making the, the important decisions, and, and you tell me what's right and wrong. And, and that's how we started. And she was very much a sponge. She always asked a lot of questions, and I was always happy to answer all the questions. And, and she really, there was a lot of built-in trust in that she acknowledged me right away that she wasn't an expert and that she didn't know the things. And she, she would rely on my expertise for, for all that. And that was something I'd never really received. When she broke down her barriers and she got vulnerable with you, and how did that make you feel about her? What, how did that affect your perspective on her? I, I it was very endearing and and I thought it was very brave of her to say those things out loud. People aren't really really willing to say things like that. Um, and I also thought that I I felt a responsibility to to be honest and and to make this successful reciprocate. to yeah. reciprocate and be and make this successful. And like this is someone who's going to rely on me. And yeah, yeah. So you, you compare that version to your original version of a partner yeah. where they're, they're, they're not telling the truth. They're, mm-hmm. they're being completely the opposite of honest yes. with you. Um, what happens when people get vulnerable and honest and transparent, you, you trust them more because there's, they're not hiding anything. It's the same reason why a dog rolls over on its back. Mm. It's becoming vulnerable. It's showing you that like my, my Here's most my vulnerable spot, part is exposed to you i'm not a threat but when you do that the, th- the first thing you want to do is just go in and give that little sucker a hug yeah, right and yeah, scratch his yeah, belly you yeah, know and like yeah. and that's what that's what happens when we're being vulnerable when we show our vulnerabilities like hey like i'm leaving it on the table here there's nothing that i can do to surprise you you're you you lower your guard and things is the speed of trust yeah right yes um, it accelerates trust for sure very for much sure. so yeah um so, and, you know, here we go. We, we dove into this concept that was really weird. Um, I think that uh, Danny Meyer, no, it was Will Gadara said, something very powerful about two people with nothing to lose. She had a, a struggling, unsuccessful business, and I had a struggling, unsuccessful career that we both dove into this weird concept of restaurant school, pop-up restaurant. Um, and, you know, not it wasn't until I was 
you know, elbows deep that I realized this is a really cool concept. This is a very, very, very profitable concept. Okay. Uh, if like, you're willing to talk about why it's more profitable, I'm curious about what, what, what is interesting about this approach, this model that makes it more profitable. It was, well, one is less is more. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the limiting faction way the restaurant gave us a limiting menu, so it optimized waste and all those things that I'd, I'd been really good at doing. Uh, for now, there's no day where the building is empty so it requires only two people in the building to teach a cooking class and you're so the building is operational for three days a week that we don't have to staff an entire restaurant's right. worth of people to bring in revenue so your we, cost of goods go way down go way your, down yeah, in your labor so, cost and your labor cost goes way down there creates balance for the the team so people at heirloom don't ever leave and once we hire people they're there for four five six years at a time because they do like the work-life balance of this concept um you're there two days a week uh, one day a week teaching a cooking class that you can like set up your your stuff for the week you can work on a dish um so does does that r&d for the cooking class ever do you use that time to evolve new menu items for the restaurant? Absolutely. That's that's the time to evolve yeah. new restaurant items for the restaurant. So now you're getting paid to, to experiment. You're like a comic yes. going up and doing stand-up in an open mic and just like practicing. Correct. And Correct. And the other thing that I love about the concept is everyone works their roles every night. So because we're only open four days a week, the, those four days, everyone... That's in, that works. All the chefs come in, they, they, and they're in their roles, so they're really good at their roles. Like so, the 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 quality of what we were doing, the replication of all the dishes that we'd make on a day in and day out, it gets better and better and yeah. better because we're all. So, how many together. people show up to your your classes? We do fifteen average. people. Fifteen people. They sell out within minutes. Within minutes. So we put up a month's worth of cooking classes at the first of every month, and within thirty minutes they're gone. So every month you you basically launch an agenda or a, yes. a syllabus. Yes, a, a syllabus. There you go. Yeah, is. a syllabus. Right, cooking class. Uh, and this is what's this is what we're going to be cooking this month. Yes. Uh, and then your 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 email list. I'm, I'm assuming this goes out to a list. Yeah, subscriber list. Segmented list of people who are interested in your. And they're up classes. on our website too, if you're interested, but. At this point, like there, people sometimes email us like, oh, "I don't believe the classes are real. They're always sold out. They can't possibly be real. If they're why you just advertise sold out classes? Is it? I'm f- like this. You can show up at any of these days. You'll see people. In the are they building. the same people usually? Is it people who like are like hobbyists who like who are like regulars in your classes? Now? There are some regulars. Yeah, are people are trying regulars. to pick up girls when they come to you. Is, <laughs> is this somebody's angle? Is this? I, no, I haven't <laughs> seen you yet, but sounds <laughs> like a good opportunity. Right. People make friends at the class. The classes I'm are sure. pretty intimate, so like that, like you know, well, you're all working together, and yeah. a lot of friendships have been made at those cooking I classes. I bet. I mean, cool. there's the power of food, man. Bringing yeah. people together, and especially when you're cooking with people, I think there's something magic that happens when you when you prepare a meal with somebody. We're very much almost like Cheers as a restaurant too, because people take classes with us, so they know us much more personally and intimately than other chefs at other open kitchen concepts. Are you? And they like walk in like, "Hey Zach, hey Dave, hey this, hey Neely." Like people feel like they know us because they they spent a couple like hours in a class yeah. with us. I'd have a so, class. Yeah, they're really fun. Um, are you on Airbnb experiences by any chance? No, Ooh, we got to talk about that. Okay, after, maybe afterwards. But I think there's. A, I mean, it sounds like you're selling out. You don't need the the, yeah, the draw. But, but I mean, supply and demand. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so okay. So the the first step is you create a syllabus. You you launch it out to your your um, subscribers. Your subscribers uh, sells out within minutes. Um, is 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 it just going out to a list? Does it get 
broadcast it on social media or do you not? It goes out to a list. We'll post it on our Instagram that list the classes go live today. Okay. You know, well it goes out to all the subscribers, but you can go on our website and click on the class and and and, and purchase it as well. Okay. So you can go on our website and purchase a class. If you don't if you don't if you go on April second, all of the May classes are full. So it looks like there's nothing to 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 purchase because yeah. it really isn't. But they were live. They were all empty on the first of April. All of May classes had no no no. Got it. You know, but they go really quickly. So is this different than costing out like a traditional menu as far as cost? Like, because I mean, I'm ass- I'm assuming there's a different value proposition there, right? Like you're creating you. You're more hands-on. You're working with the chef. There's, so there's an experience where you're educating. Mm-hmm. So I feel like you wouldn't be able to, to use the traditional 10 to 15% profit margin, right? You, it's on food? You, uh, well, yeah, just generally your profit yeah, from it's, that. It's much bigger. The, the okay. profit margin on the classes are much bigger than the How the do you go about figuring out the value of something like that? Like, What is a good aiming point, in your opinion? Uh, I mean, at first it was... Um, I mean, they've gone up in price throughout the years. Um but it was like what, what someone was willing to pay. You know, we were trying to get them all sold out. out. And then once yeah. they're sold out, then you creep it up another couple of dollars here, a couple of dollars there just in case, you know, as inflation happens. And then, you know, um, the classes that I teach now, I think, are more expensive than the classes other people teach because I was on Top Chef. Yeah. And then people wanted specifically to be with me. So I was like, all right, if you're going to specifically only want the classes that I'm in, then they're going to be more expensive than you. Well, that's ones. another point. We talk Things like that. Like Top Chef, I'm, sh- I'm sure, helped. When, yeah. Totally. So, like... Now you're cooking with a celebrity too. Now it's it's meet the chef. Exactly. Yeah, um, we're going to get to that the top chef thing. <laughs> I'm sure. But when did that happen for you? Was that, was that before or after you became partner? Uh, it was right before I became partner. Because I think um, I remember seeing a video of you talking in 2018 about your top chef uh, premiere or yeah, it was going to be pu- like uh, yeah. Before I, when, once so someone from Top Chef came into dinner and watched you know me cooking. It's a stage, you know, watch me interact with guests, ate the food, watch me do what I do. And they went back to the, their, they were one of the casting producers. They went back like, I got a guy and he's perfect. You, you got to put him on. And they really, that person really championed me to get on the show. They, they literally, when I was on the show, like you need to give this person like a gift card or something like they'll never pay for a meal. Again at your <laughs> uh, um, so that was a real, you know, thing. Um, this, this someone just watched, what I did for, for every night and, and just, you never know who's in the audience. You never know who you're cooking for. And they asked me to be on the show, which was really cool. And that's a big lesson right there. You never know who you're cooking for. Yeah. Treat every guest as if they're a future investor because they could very well be. Yeah. It's the truth. <laughs> yes. It's the truth. And, and it, being an heirloom made me much more hospitable, you know, wow. there's no more walls. I literally was looking at guests going, Oh, I don't like this. I'm like, I can make you this instead. I got you. Like, <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean? Like my favorite thing to do is listen to some two people debate on what to get. And like, as they choose and the knowing that whatever they didn't choose, I was going to send it out as a bite. Yeah. You know, like that's my favorite thing to do is like surprise them. Like, Oh, I don't know if I should get the duck or the chicken or the steak or the duck. I don't know. I don't know. And I'll order the, the duck. And so I'll give them a, a baby portion of the steak as a mid course, just complimentary. Like just in case you you're go. afraid of missing. Just, in, yeah, just, just so you know what you missed out on blah, 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 like, and, and making a moment out of it. And that's a nice, easy way of making a guest for life. Yeah. Like, did this casting person ever tell you what it was that sold you on on like or sold him on you? Um, it was my ability to cook and talk and, and entertain. She's like, you, you, you made amazing food look effortless. You engaged with people the entire time you did it. She's like, I didn't had never seen anything like it. 
Yes. Um, so you get the role. Yep. Um, Top Chef. I don't. I never got into the TV shows. I'm not gonna lie. So Top Chef. Um, that's like a competition. A bunch of people get. Oh, yeah, you. I, we got moved out to Kentucky, and every week somebody goes home, kind of thing. Like, okay. So how how far did you make it? Uh, a little over halfway. It's pretty good. Yeah, and it's pretty comp. And I've heard it's a it's a legit competition. To me, it's yeah, it's a legit competition. And and to me, of all the cooking shows, that one had like the most James Beard finalists, the most Integrity, you know Michelin yeah. starred people. Like of all the of all the shows, that was the one I watched. Of, got it. You know, because I thought it had the most talented people on it. So did this. When you got this notoriety and this new, almost like mini celebrity status, did that help with lobbying for partnership, um, bringing all this new business to the? I, th- I think when when Top Chef reached out, uh, Neely had mentioned making me a partner before that. And she yeah, was, just, I better hurry up before. I think so. kind of, yeah, I kind of lit a fire. fire. Yeah. Uh, but like she had mentioned it before, so it's not like it was like all that a surprise like she had mentioned it in the within the first year i just didn't have any money to put in like again like if you're going to be an investor you if you're going to be a partner you have to invest in the company yeah i didn't have any money you know i didn't you know you were just paying off your soul you're at this point you were still paying off your school loans you just announced that you you paid off your school my last student loan payment congratulations man Man. you're an inspiration to me i'm still working (laughs) i'm still putting it'll happen man one day it'll be the last (laughs) thing i promise it happens uh so so obviously things are going well so um, you come back, the, the show premieres, I'm sure you guys start like selling out even faster than before. Yeah. Do you start increasing? Your it doubled our well? business basically. Yeah. 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 And it was great to be a partner in the business that I, I came back to Yeah, and know, and know that all that, the work that we were putting in, I was going to be a recipient. Of yeah. it. Like, are you willing to talk about your current partnership and how you guys shape that? Is sure. That, so what does that look like? Sure. What um, did you learn? So, um, when I, Signed on to Heirloom, I invested as a 25% partner. Okay. So I'm 25% partner in the original Heirloom Kitchen in Oldbridge. After that, anything going forward with Neely, I'm 50-50 partner. How do you guys go about assessing the value of the business? Did you bring in attorneys for EBITDA and stuff like that? Um, she, she, she gave me a number that I thought was fair. Um, ultimately, as far as I'm concerned, like a business is only as profitable as the, the revenue it generates. So it can't ever be more of the money than. So I knew what the the restaurant was making, yeah. And her number came in a little under that, okay. and I was like, "That's fair." Yeah, I didn't have to really worry about it. So for mo- for the most part, if your restaurant um, does a, a million dollars in sales, it's not really a, it's a you can kind of evaluate it at a million dollars because it generates a million dollars in revenue, but. Um, even then, if your expenditures and the way you run the business, you could be losing money at that. At so, that how did you come up with twenty five percent if you had no money? It sounds like you had no pennies to, to rub together. Yeah. Uh, so I went back to my parents and, and, and borrowed some money. And there's no shame in that. No. I think there's a lot of people that think like you know you should you should be embarrassed. I think I'm lucky. I'm not embarrassed. I'm just privilege lucky. is a beautiful <laughs> thing. Yeah, privilege has such a negative air with it. But you know, I think what's truly sad is if you are privileged and you don't take advantage of that privilege mm. because if you use that privilege you can then turn around and, and use your privilege and pay it forward pay it forward you know yeah. like like if you are well intended lever the fuck out of that privilege and, and do as much good shit as possible people have a negative connotation to lucky i don't right. have any negative connotation with lucky i am lucky i had great parents i i had the you know i'm lucky i'm, I'm so lucky i work my ass off i'm very de- dedicated and hardworking individual i'm, I'm disciplined i'm i'm genuine and modest i have a lot of qualities yeah lucky is definitely fucking well, one of them i'm sorry it's just too, it is like, you know your parents 
I'm, I don't know if, if I'm assuming you paid them back or you're planning yes, on paying absolutely. them back. No, I paid them back. So um, it's a good investment for them too, yeah. you know, yeah. long-term. Uh, yeah. I don't know how you guys structured that, but they, at this point you were a good investment. It was yeah. a no-brainer for them. Yeah, they, they had no problem giving right. them money. Um, so you're officially a partner. At this point, are you two? This is where it gets even more awkward. Were you <laughs> romantically involved at this point? No, we were not romantically involved at this point. Okay. That happened after Top Chef. Okay. Um, How did that change the dynamic? It was scary because it was such a good working relationship. Like at first, uh, it was like I don't want to. I don't want to ruin what we have going. Yeah, of course, like, this 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 could complicate everything. Right. So um, it was a little, I you know, treaded lightly. But once she had was honest with me about her feelings, it kind of changed the way I started viewing her as well. So then, then how do you even have that conversation with the business? <laughs> she's <partner>? very gutsy. <laughs> she's very, if you've never met Neely, she never hides anything. She's she you over. very straightforward. No, she was just honest about her feelings. I've always admired her. I just didn't look at her in that light. She was yeah. my business partner. Like, so yeah. my, my brain, yeah, yeah, my brain had this like barrier. I never once like, viewed her as someone I would date. But all the while thought she was a wonderful, generous, (laughs) kind, talented, beautiful woman, you know, like I, but I, not someone for me to date. Right. So, um, once good on you for having that discipline, not (laughs) all men are, 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 are are able to hold back. Well, it helps that chefs have such a fucking terrible reputation. I (laughs) I didn't want to be one of those scumbags, you know, like that's such a real thing. I've witnessed it a lot of my career. Like the, the chefs using their position of power to leverage, to, to, to yeah, what is your inner dialogue on that? Just like how it's you, gross. Yeah. <laughs> it's just gross. Like treat everybody like they're my sister. Yeah. Like that's it. Like that's that's just the way. Just be honest and caring and and appropriate. Like no wonder why she fell in love with you. <laughs> Damn, <man>. <laughs> <laughs> so so she she shares her feelings. She shares you. her feelings, and then it changed the whole dynamic. I couldn't unhear it. I couldn't. Now now I started developing feelings. Okay. So. That was kind of the, the turning point, and then we started dating. So, talk about like the actual just your existence in this world together as partners, and how you guys complement each other, business and life. Oh, I think we complement each other so well. Um, she has a a we have the exact same palate, so she's very very knowledgeable about food. Uh, when she tastes something, she can tell you what's in it. Uh, we both love what we do. We both love hospitality. We both love dining at restaurants. We both are obsessed with it. So all those things are really, really helpful when you are as obsessed with it as I am. Yeah. You know. So that those are huge commonalities. So that's where we are the same. We're different in that I'm this like kind of like hippie, you know, leader. But like I'm just like kind of floating along through life. I don't make plans because I never really had time to make plans. So why make plans? But she's very regimented and and detail oriented and forceful and wants to like carve her niche out and she's like this like you know aggressive human in this world that won't take no for an answer and that totally complements my I'm like okay cool and I'm like I I talk her and give her the perspective of like no 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 like even though you didn't get what you wanted life's pretty good you have so much like. Things are really great. Yeah. Let me give you a background and then uh, make it all go away. You know, uh, like you know, things like that. Like we just compliment each other in that we're both ambitious, but she's much more forceful. So for all the people that say never go into business with your, your life partner, your, 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 you know, your significant other, what is, what is your counter? My counter. Um, my counter is <sighs> marriage and relationship is already a business kind of thing, right? Like you're supposed to be working together anyway. Whether it's in a in a relationship at home and all those things, like communication is important, pulling your weight is important, 
respect for each other is important. Anticipating needs are important. All those things are really important in a marriage, yeah. in a relationship. I, and it's just easily translatable into a business relationship to me. Right. Um, and also, like, she does work. It's not like we're side by side. She's not in the kitchen with me. She's floating around, and we get to see each other when we want to, and we get to, like, and she can decide, Dave's in a really bad mood. I'm just going to stay away from him. <laughs> and that's okay, too. Yeah. So um, it's just, like, continuing those kind of healthy communication skills in both aspects of life. Yeah. I mean, I honestly lean in the direction, like, I, I, I've, I've noticed a pattern. Like, I've, I've had a lot of people on the show that are married to their business partners. And I, and I think it's funny, because sometimes when you talk to those, those married couples who are partners in life and in business, you talk to them about partnerships. They're like, absolutely not. You don't like partnerships are dangerous. I don't get, I'm like, you two are married. (laughs) I'm like, how, what makes you think this is not a partnership? They're like, well, that's a good point. (laughs) Uh, but it's weird when it's marriage, you don't tend to see it as as a a business partnership, but it is, it is. It's a relationship. A relationship is work. It's, 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 you know, you have to do things for one another. You have to communicate one another. It's work. And, but it's not so hard. Like I think Chris Rock made a joke is like two people can carry a couch easy. But not one. Like so, right. like that. With the marriage, you both got to do some work, right? Because it's part of what makes it easy. If you're not willing to do any work, and only one person's working, that's when a marriage is work. Because yeah. only one person's working, it feels like it. So, any advice for our listeners out there who might be going, or maybe they're married to their future business partner, or maybe they're married to their current business partner, mm-hmm. or they're maybe they're thinking about getting married, or whatever. Like, what is your advice for them to to, to, to draw that line between work and profession, sure. or life and profession? Um, I think that if you have a good relationship and it's a healthy one, then you can easily be make it a business relationship as well. Yeah. If if you think getting into if you don't communicate well with your partner and you don't have a healthy relationship, if you guys avoid each other more than come together, I wouldn't go into business. With what that does person. communicating well look like? Communicating well is being able to tell something something they don't want to hear. And knowing yeah. that you don't have to be afraid of saying something that they don't want to hear. How do you create that space, that safe space? Uh, that's, that's really deep. Um, just being authentic and being caring and knowing that just because you, and, and putting yourself in their shoes sometimes knowing that your unawareness is insulting, you know, and, and being able to listen to when they need something and process it, even though you didn't mean to hurt their feelings or whatever, that your obtuseness did and finding a way to figure it out to not do it again. You know, now I hit the jackpot with you. Um, so, so moving forward in the evolution of the heirloom restaurant group. Uh, so at this point there's the cooking class, there's heirloom kitchen, and then Mm -hmm. there's the pop-up you've did it. So the pop-up was basically, so heirloom kitchen started as like a pop-up restaurant in a cooking school. And then we made it a full-time restaurant. Got it. So, so Heirloom Kitchen is the same. Is, so far, we've only spoke about one place, one building, yeah. one restaurant. And today, there's, in addition... We have a, an Heirloom at the St. Laurent, which is a hotel on, on the Jersey Shore in Asbury Park. Is New that Jersey. the social club? As a social oh, club. It. Yeah. So it's a social club where people uh, uh, subscribe to be members of the St. Laurent Hotel. They get privied, you know... Uh, parties, events, they get to reservation preferences, they get to spend time at the pool. There's a whole lifestyle. Is that around. a membership? It's a membership, yeah. Okay. So the social club membership uh, is involved. I, we are not specifically part of that membership. That's not my business model. Uh, we are the food and beverage wing of this hotel that offers this membership. So, so I am running Heirloom Kitchen 
out of the St. Laurent Hotel. I do all the food and beverage. There's two food and beverage spaces. There's the restaurant. Oh, there's three. There's the restaurant, there's the pool, and then there's this bar, this uh, cocktail bar. So how does that work as far as, like, do you, do you they just cut you a check? So we have a management deal. Okay. So if you want to get into the real nitty-gritty, it's a percentage deal based on all net sales. So you mentioned this earlier that you yeah. like man. I would only do this deal. So what is it about anything. this approach that you like the most? I think it's, uh, it's clean cut. It's uh, straightforward. It's monthly, uh, every, every month. Uh, with POS systems now, it's very easy to get all the information needed to, to, to carve out what exactly we've earned. And I'm being paid for my expertise in real time. Uh, I bring with me um, knowledge. I bring with me the ability to hire. I bring with me uh, systems. I bring intellectual with me property. intellectual property. I bring a name at this point. Um, so all these things that I am... Yeah, brand, right. Yeah, I'm good at. Right. I bring to the table and I get percentage off the top. It also incentivizes me to generate more. Wait, you know? So, so all the food and beverage sales I get percentage every so month. When you say off the right top, off that's gross. Yes. Got it. Um and well, oh, I had a question locked and loaded. It's hard to keep questions in and listen at the same time. That's yeah. why I take notes because I don't want to lose my questions. So oh, what, what do you bring? So you talked about what you bring to the table as far as like your skill set, your brand, your, your knowledge, your know-how. Uh, what are they responsible for? Where is like what like what's the other side of that? They like? built out a space for us. Okay, they, so they basically they, they house heirloom. They, the assets. They made a beautiful building. They they own all the the equipment in it. They uh, and you know at any point they could tell me to to leave and uh, we'll take the name off the you know heirloom won't be associated with the Saint Laurent anymore. And if they, that's what they ever were ever to choose to do, then they can happily do that and I won't get my fee anymore. Got it, got it. Um, but. Um, they, they're, they own the building, they own all the equipment in it, they own, and they pay all the employees. I don't, I don't, I just bring menu development and I, and everything that I do to the table. Got it. Um, now are you there or did you, are you basically almost like a, like a, a, kind of like a coach? Yeah, I'm kind of like a coach. Um, I was there for the opening for the first like four months, like almost every day, like in and out, like dedicated uh, creating culture is important, and I think that you know the more that they can see my face and know that my standards. And I'm a very hands-on leader. Um, I work like we just opened Lita here uh, three weeks ago. Yeah. I've been working the line every day. You yeah. know, like we're um, we're about to spend <laughs> at least forty minutes talking. No, maybe not forty minutes, but at least we're we're getting there. We're getting there. Yeah. Um, but I, I very much lead from the front, and I like to get my hands dirty. I love cooking. I like actually cooking. I'm not one of those clipboard guys. I never wanted to be one. That's what I loved about the original heirloom. I was behind the stove every day for every service for the first, until I went to Top Chef as the first time I didn't cook every protein on that, wow. for that restaurant. So I love to cook yeah. truly genuinely. So, um, it's easy for me. So when the St. Laurent opened, I was there on the ground floor for the first four, six months every day, you know, open and close, basically just setting the tone, uh, hiring the right people, empowering them. And then I can step away. Once I know that it's in good hands and the people have now, Proven to be capable, no like way. Like any I other expect. restaurant, exactly. Yeah. So you, I'm assuming you have a CDC there, or something I do. One of those yeah. lines. Yeah. Yeah. Josh Pearson, he's amazing. Got. So, any advice around setting this up? Elements of a, a management deal that, sh- like language lingo, to be aware of when setting this up to protect yourself. Um. Or maybe I, when you're setting it up, if you're looking to bring on somebody, uh, maybe you're the the person that owns the building, right? Yeah. And you're looking to contract out i think this is where the industry is going by the way is 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 hiring people to get you going develop the menu hone in the systems home in the recipes develop the culture and then slowly transition out yeah and then maybe come back when things get rocky 
You yeah. Know? Yeah. Um, I honestly, I still, you know, I do a manager meeting once a week. Um, I'm, I, we're involved in exchanges. I have to okay all the new menu items. Like, so I'm very much a part of what they're doing, You're but I also, chef. yeah, but I also want to empower them. I, yeah. I want the, the menu items. I have, I think one dish on the menu. Like the, everything else is absolutely 100 percent them, I love that. and I, and that's what I want. I don't want to impose. I'm not David Burke. I'm not making you put everything on a clothesline for in every restaurant. Like that's not what I do. I <laughs> I want to hire talented individuals. I want to pay them well. I want to empower them to do what they do because I, I I love chefs. I love cooking. I love restaurants, and I I, I want you to love it too. Yeah, I, I'm not there to impose my arbitrary desires and likes on you. I want to hear what you have to say. I right. want to hear what you it's like. It's a collective. It's a collective. Yeah. So that's kind of how I approach all the restaurants. So um, even at the original heirloom, Zach is in charge of the menu development and I go in for, to, to check up on it. And right now, Lita, the menu is mostly mine, if not all mine, because I'm here. It's also fresh. <laughs> it's fresh yeah. and I'm here and it's my, it's my, it's named after my mom. Yeah. So like, this is me. Um, but even if I were to walk away, I would then have to let go of some of that. Yeah. You know, you have to empower the people beneath you to, because everyone likes to come up with dishes. Everyone, if, if you, if you really love what you're doing as a chef, you want to, you want to give your opinion, yeah. your voice, your, what it is that you like and how you see food through your eyes. So I always want to empower the chefs to be able that. to contribute. I love that. So moving forward, when did the, when did you start the social club? How long has that been going? So that was June of last year. So June we're coming up on a year. Okay. So, um, the, so the most recent project obviously is where we are today. Lita. Um, when did this start the ball for this to start coming into motion? What was the vision? So the vision for Lita started when I was in the pandemic uh, we were forced to shut down. And I've never been a very nostalgic person. Um, you know, chefs aren't really that much, I don't think, because the, I'm worried about tomorrow's prep list, what I have to do today. Like, like I'm just constantly pushing forward, and I like tweezer food, so I never really even thought of my cultural food or what I grew up having as something special. So that was what that was fuel. And um, when I was stuck at home for two months cooking for Neely and my son, you know, you start going through some things that you like all the time, but then all of a sudden you're like, hmm, what else am I going to make? Like, <laughs> like I'm a chef, like, what am I going to make? So I started digging back to the things my grandma would make. I kind of started missing them and I started making them. And I'm like, wow, this is delicious. Like, this is, I, you can't get this anywhere. Like, this is crazy. Like, that this is this good and I, and there's no one selling anything like this. Like, you saw it through a different filter now, too. Exactly. You, you experienced it through the, uh, as a child, but now yeah. you're, you're seeing that. Uh, under a whole new lens with a different perspective and different value. Yep. Yep. So that was where the initial birth of the idea was born. So we were looking to grow outside of heirloom. We had, we had, you know, been really successful at heirloom where we we're coming on, uh, it was like four or five years and we had some really great, you know, after top chef things, the business was booming. Um, so we were like, okay, we have a nest egg to invest in another project. And that was going to be Lita. That's how we decided. And we're going to do Lita in, um, in Philadelphia. We're going to do, we're going to open in Philadelphia before the, we're going to open a restaurant in Philadelphia before the pandemic. The pandemic happened. We didn't. And then Lita was the next idea to have. Uh, so we're going to open up Lita. So that's how that happened during the pandemic. So, I mean, is it worth getting to why it didn't open in Philadelphia? The pandemic happened. Uh, we had investors. We had been working on a deal for, uh, we were like two weeks before we were going to sign the deal and the pandemic happened and Philly took it hard. Yeah. Um, we did a pop-up in Philly uh, two years ago in November um, for six months with the same landlord we were going to sign a deal with. 
which was super successful. And that's where we met the people from the hotel, and that's how we got the hotel deal oh, okay. through the pop up. It all worked Philly. out. Then. It all worked out. So nice. it all happened for a reason. So what was it about this current location that was appealing to you? Um, well, liquor license laws in New Jersey are pretty whacked. So uh, the we found a liquor license in this town that was actually somewhat affordable. Was it tied to the space? No. Okay. So we bought a, a random liquor license uh, a year and a half ago. So the way that works, somebody there's only a limited amount of licenses. Yes. So in order to get one, somebody has to go out of business. Yes. So you can only, you can only transfer a license. Yes. Okay. Yes. So someone was going out of business, they were selling their license. We bought it. We've been sitting on it looking for a space. So Are all licenses created equal? Is like, is like the, the value of one license the same as any, all licenses? No. no. Okay. So it depends on the, so the, the, what's really whacked about this is a license is valued what some idiot's willing to pay for it. Okay. So, <laughs> for example, in Asbury Park, somebody bought a license for one, $1 million, so now licenses are worth $1 million in Asbury Supply Park. So nobody's going nobody's gonna to pay, sell it for less than that. Yeah. Someone paid a million. Actually, I tried to buy one for 1. 1.2. They said no, 1.5. I was like, oh, <laughs> Even 1.2 was like stupid idea. I'm so glad. How do we change good. things like that? Oh man! So I've been, I've been talking. <laughs> I've been talking about this for a really long time because I think it's the single most damaging thing to the restaurant industry in New Jersey. We're stuck between Philadelphia and New York. We have some of the best chefs in the world, like at our hands reach, but none of them come here. Why? Because you can't run a business without alcohol, yeah. with a liquor license. Because so many places that have a decent location, the liquor license, the the, the they're a million dollars, and you have to be a nightclub to make money on a million dollars. A small restaurant can't make money. So, and because there's only these licenses that already pre-exist that you can't make more of, you don't allow a, a 20 seat beautiful by like a beautiful restaurant with a small wine list to exist. See, in my mind, that's a perfect example of a systematic broken. Issue. Oh, it's totally broken. And when you yeah. talk about it to the system, someone always bring up like, well, what about the people that already own them? Like, so what? So what happened with people who own a stock that went there's, out? Of, what about the people that own the stock in those two banks that went out? Of yeah, business? they're still like, going to have their license. They, they still, still have it. Just be better at it. Their license is no longer It allows asset. laziness for these people that, like, it's lazy to think that if you already own one, that it, no one else can do that too. Like, well, it's liquid. They're essentially looking at that license as cash. Yeah, so but it's not. who wants to burn at 1.5? Well, but it literally is because and, it's, it's the other thing is so weird that we're protecting these few people that have them when the vast majority of the population doesn't have one. Yeah. Like they're so outnumbered. I don't even understand the perspective that we have to protect these people. So what happens? Like, is it voting? Is it? Is, oh, it, is it? Is that a a too far right issue? Uh, yeah. Uh, so the the the. It comes up every now and then, and it never has legs. There's too many people blocking it. And I'm thinking there's too many people in, in, with control over or with a say over it that own a liquor or multiple. Some of these people own four or five of them, man. Yeah. They're like, and they think it's, it's like basically an ATM for four or five million dollars. Like they, they they have them and they pocket them, and yeah. they're, they're just existing in this nebulous. Meanwhile, the industry here is hard because you can you have to do it all BYO. Yeah. It's all BYO. My heirloom kitchen is BYO. It's much harder to be a, yeah. a restaurateur without a, a liquor license. I can at all. imagine. Man. They should at least do beer and wine licenses. Right. Or like that's any, that's like I, so I, reasonable. I, it's clearly it's a compromise is out there. It's so, so it's like right there. It's such a reasonable compromise I for everybody. Court, didn't I? Oh, <laughs> you did. You no did. man, let it out. It's good. This, this is what we're here to do. Is to share perspective and to, this is the transform part of what yeah. we're here to do. Inspire, empower. You've done that, man. Uh, now it's like, where are you now? And how do we like, like, what are you trying to? How are you trying to change the game? How are you trying to trying to challenge the oh, status quo? I'm so happy you mentioned that. <laughs> 
<laughs> I, I am trying to change the game. Yeah. Um, so like the, well, the back of house, front of house divide has been real. Why did you feel like there was a need to change the game? So I've been saying it for a long time. So even when I was on Top Chef, I was like, yo, this, this restaurant model is broken. Like the, the divide of, of pay and what chefs make and what the world is now costing is crazy. Like the gap is widening ever so much. Then there's the gap between the front of house and back of house, which has always been wide, and but that's still again widening. And if not, you know, not fast enough, they're not closing the gap. It's actually getting a little wider. And this is in 2018. Was it 18 when I was on Top Chef? So I was like saying this on Top Chef, and they're like laughing at me, like calling me a snowflake, like and like the people I was telling all my peers to call me a snowflake, like oh, these people just don't want to work anymore. You're just like giving them excuses. You're like we need to like they need to put their head down and, and bust it so they can make it like we did. I'm like. No man, <laughs> like that's not. This is this is crazy. Like this is this is a big problem. And and then the pandemic happened, and then nobody came back to the restaurant industry. Like nobody wanted to. Like oh, the job, the restaurants are opening, and there was crickets. Yeah. I'm I'd like, rather, nah. Walk dogs. Yeah, we're good. <laughs> I've been doing this Uber thing. It actually pays more. Like yeah. it's crazy. Like so. Um, it was unfortunate that even when we made the concession as a as an industry, uh, I started paying everyone twenty dollars an hour in my restaurants, um, and even like I felt like a lot of people started paying more. And then all of a sudden, inflation hit, and I'm like, God damn it! I feel I still feel like everyone's suffering. I still feel like it's not enough. Like, and I'm, and now I'm out of pocket more than I've ever been, and I'm I'm trying to make it better, and it's not enough. And I was like, the model itself is broken. And, like, and I'm going back to this model. And the model idea came to me because of Heirloom Kitchen. This like weird model that I never anticipated brought me so much happiness and balance. And I was like, it was like, I'm like, what a little tweak did for something that I've been doing my whole life created so much more balance. I'm like, what other little tweak can I make that can be more replicable, that can be more um, uh, can be scalable? Because you can't have a cooking school restaurant on every corner. Like right. Right, you wouldn't; those cooking classes would be worthless. Right. So that's not real. But it was real to me because it works. But <laughs> it's not a scalable thing. That's not a real industry change game changer. And then I started thinking about the Danny Meyer method when he wanted to take away tipping and kind of split the divide between the front of the house and start just bridge that gap a little bit and put everyone on salary, put everyone on salary, but yeah. make it like more, give a little the bump to the kitchen and take a bump from the front. Right. And he lost all his front of house people. And I knew that was going to happen. I'm like, right. cause no one's going to take pay cut. Like yeah. they're Especially not going to volunteer. Like York, like. Why wouldn't they have volunteered all these years to fucking take a pay cut and give it to the kitchen? Regardless, yeah. they could have done it a long time ago. Right. They, they're just not gonna, if it's like, going to happen, it needs to happen across like the board everybody yes. needs to do the same thing but anyway that's- so that's what i came up with so i was like i bet you if i hired only chefs and then created a model where the chefs work in the front one week we divide them up into two teams one team is in the kitchen and one team's on the front and every week they swap places so you're working with the same team members mm-hmm. but the collective team swaps swaps what is the benefit of doing that versus saying just like rotating people out and not having a set team well, I think there's something to be said about continuity and camaraderie and just n- communication is better um, with like having line mates. It is a team aspect to cooking. Yeah. Do you ever so train to team that. members? 
I haven't yet. So we're three weeks old. That's true. So this this process is only three weeks old. We're very in the much the baby hatching, crawling yeah. out of the egg stages of this whole concept. And, and this was really the draw for me. This, I mean, obviously you have an incredible backstory. You've gotten a lot of industry recognition. Like that was all appealing. But what really sucks me in is like I really want to have this conversation. Yeah. Is people ch- challenging the status quo and yeah. saying there's a better way to do this? And I think that if we're going to make a change in the industry, we have to give we have to share this perspective. This is the thing I'm most passionate about right yeah. now. More yeah. so than this restaurant opening yeah. is the model that we're trying to do right here, right now. And I love this approach. And there's yeah. one other restaurant that I know of that's doing this. And okay. I'm, I'm, if you, I don't, do you know of any other people? I don't know of anybody doing it. Not saying, not saying that it isn't happening, but yeah. I don't know of anybody. Doing I'd love it. to introduce you guys because yeah. they've been doing this for at least five years now. So, wow. Um, I had the original founder on the show. I think he, I don't know if he's still working if he sold his percentage, but the chef is still there and they're still the, they're, they're fucking sold. Like they're packed every day. Like it's hard to get a seat after four 30 at this place. So they're doing well. Yeah. And one of the biggest things I've noticed is that they have the same employees working now that they did five years ago. Amen. Yeah. And like, Amen. so like that is, so there's definitely something to this, but there, I would imagine there's some challenges with this too. Sure. And, so and, what are some of the, like I, well, before I just start spewing my opinions out, what, what are the challenges you are anticipating? Um, so I've, I've, I've also told this to a lot of people before I put it into place and I wanted people to poke holes in it. And so there's things that people said that, it, you know, the one biggest thing that everyone was saying is you're not going to find enough chefs to do this. Like chefs don't want to do this. Like you're not going to find enough chefs to do this. It was very easy finding 10 chefs to do this. Then it was literally not a problem. Um, when you, we show them what the probable percentages and the, the pay scale will be once, you know, you know, you're rolling and what, how different it would be from what a normal line cook position pays. The, the difference is stark. So like once you like let them into what you're trying to accomplish and what that would mean to their paycheck, people were very willing to listen and, People were, I had no problem finding chefs. So I found 10 chefs like, like that, like yeah. two seconds. So that was one problem I was anticipating, you know, convincing people that, you know, that, that this was ideal for them and that this, and I wanted people to believe in it and to want it to succeed because it's going to be hard. There's going to be growing pains and there's going to be muscles that they have to flex that they're not used to flexing. So right. they have to push through that pain to get to the other side, which will be a, better space for them right um so i didn't want any defeatists i wanted people that were like about it about change i want to rock the boat i want to change the industry a little bit i want to make a mark so they're all about that so that was that was one thing i was anticipating being hard that isn't um people said oh well chefs don't talk to guests really well some chefs are i'm like they don't have to talk to guests all i'm requiring is a contribution you have to contribute. So if you're in the front of the house, you can clear tables. You can mark tables. You can you can do all the back waiter stuff. You can run food. You don't have to be the captain or the the, the hospitality version that the people see. Yeah. Uh, magnanimous. You know, you're making me think of a hospitality DNA right now. And I have to admit that I think I'm one of three people who have the audio version. The other two are the authors. So it's oh, like shoot. it's just dropping. It's called The Hospitality DNA. It's a great book. The, the Dave's from... Um, Bar Logistics wrote it. Uh, hmm. There's two Davids. Their last names Dalton Zalski, and the other name's escaping me right now. Um, but they talk about they use Coyote Ugly as a uh, they profile that restaurant group. Hmm. Um, and maybe I don't know what what your opinions of Coyote Ugly are, but it was a very successful bar that came out of Texas, and uh, the owner talked about how. They really what they do is they're entertaining. They're, th- these these ladies are on the bar dancing, doing this crazy stuff, 
singing, doing all these things. So you can't just be good at making drinks. You also are entertaining. Yeah. So what she talked about is like, listen, like we have a cast of players. There are people that are good at the singing and dancing and we let them lean into that when it gets busy. They get up on the they get up on the bar and they start doing what they're good at, and then our A team, our 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 you know our talented mixologists come in and do the other stuff. So yeah. I think that's kind of what I'm hearing here. Absolutely, is you got to like you put the team together and yeah. like it's 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 a shift, but you can't expect everybody to do every role because that's that's the challenge. That's 100%, the challenge I was thinking. A hundred percent. Not everyone is suited to do every role. Just like I'm going to need yeah. someone to be on Garmage. I don't need seven grill cooks. Yeah. I need a garbage cook. I need a pasta. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, you, and, and I think some of the things that are, in, are wrong with our industry and why some of the, the chefs that frustrated me the most coming into this industry were the ones that wanted everyone to be like a robot. You wanted every person to have every skill set to be like this like robot. But we're not robots. We're people. We have different needs, different goals, different ambitions, different strengths, things, different strengths, weaknesses. We bring different things to the table. And when I was a chef, like you put people in positions to succeed and then you coach them or push them and lean them, encourage them to, to do the things that they're not good at too so they can grow, right? right. But it's not my job to make you grow. If you want to grow, grow. And I'm going to conv- I'm going to prod you. I'll nudge you. I'll, I'll remind you because I want you to because I think it'd be good for you, but that's on you. You got to yeah. do the extra work to go, do the... Un- find the un- I tell people, find the uncomfortable moments in your day, in your kitchen day. That was, that's growth. Yeah. When you're uncomfortable and you're doing the thing that you're not good for at, sure. that's, that's you getting better. So fucking lean into that. Yeah. And I'll nudge you, but I don't, I don't make you. Right. You can do this. You can be a button. You can do the same thing. You'd be really, really good at it. And if you're happy doing that every day for the rest of your life, God bless. Yeah. And you, you can do it here. I don't care. You're talking about it from the chef perspective. The chef's moving to the front of house and the challenge doesn't be associated with that. But as a front of house person, like I know I can't do what a chef does. I don't have the mental capacity to remember if, if somebody's calling out orders. I'm also dyslexic and I read things backwards. Is this, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. I'm like, I've always struggled in the kitchen because I, I can't keep it all in my head. I've always yeah. struggled with that, but I'm a banger host. Like, and, and I love people and I love making people happy and I will go so far out of my way yeah. to be unreasonable with hospitality. Right. Like, like Bulgari says, yeah. um, and that transitions well as a host, but, and I would be amazing if I was here working for you. But if you put me in that kitchen, man, yeah. I'm going to be a wrench. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, I, that's why we're hiring chefs. So there yeah. has to be a, a talent pool, like a skill set, a basic skill set in the kitchen, yeah. a comfortableness in yeah. the kitchen. Um, so, that's what I'm really kind of – so that's why there's 10 chefs. So, uh, well, you won't really know until you give it some time to kind of unroll, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but like I'm actually you – know, headed to Minneapolis to talk to uh, Mike Payton, one of the authors. He's, he's very much a part. He didn't write the book traction, but he's basically, uh, Gina Wickman has basically hand, like passed the, the baton to Mike Payton, who's oh, wow. co-authored um, The Process and Get a Grip, which are in the, the, one of the multiple books that are in the family of like, traction books. Um, and we talk in, in that in traction and the entrepreneurial operating system, they talk about uh, when you're giving somebody a job, they need to want it, have a capacity to, to do it. What is it? Get it, want it, and have a capacity to do it. Hmm. Those are the three variables. They have to get it, meaning they have to understand what the expectation is. They have to want the job, meaning there has to be some type of desire there to do it, and they have to be capable of doing the job. Or the three filters you have to put people through before like giving them a, a promotion or a raise or whatever. Yeah. So as I'm saying this, what's going through your mind? Get it, want it, capability to do it. Get it, want it, capacity. Get it, want it, capacity. Um, I think 
I think that's a great filter. And I think that that's more important than say a resume. So those are like, I, I you know, I think, you know, we'll get there again. We're going to go back to him because it's so, so fresh. It's so, so fresh. fresh. And I've been really immersing myself in front of house stuff. Cause I, I too want to be a student yeah. with these guys, right? Lead by the front, you know, um, I want to be a student. So I really have been throwing myself into front of the house things lately. So, um, but he says he hires hospitable people, right? So, um, the capability part is really important for me. So that was a part of the hiring process as well. Finding those moments for the people that were sitting in front of me, a to want to, to be, to get this job, to want to make a change, to want to be willing to uh, embrace the uncomfortable moments of what they're about to do, but also be capable of it. And so I had to have a sense of warmth or hospitality or ability to be hospitable um, from them in some way, right? It didn't have to be showmanship or talkability, or if you were nervous in front of people, that's okay. I think that those things will go away over time and, and I don't need every single person to be that level of guest facing Um, and just taking the pool that you have and then diagnosing and then coaching up the ones that have the ability and, and, and can be more, you know, and getting them to that point. So I think there's a, it it worked out really, really well so far. It's working out really, really well so far. Um, I found roles for every single employee and that one that is suited to their needs and every day they're getting better. So that's like those are the things that I'm looking for. Yeah. I mean, honestly, like when you think about if, if you have somebody who's a talent in the back of house and they have some level of social and emotional intelligence too and they have that desire to serve and to please and mm-hmm. to give hospitality, you would think that they would make such a banger server because yeah. they're really what a server is is a salesperson, right? Like yeah. At the end of the day, they're, they're, they have to know that product. And like, they who do. knows it better than the the, the chef? Because uh, that you know, totally. and, and I feel like they're selling it with a passion. Yeah. They're not selling. It, they're they're close to it. They might have had something to do with creating that mm-hmm. dish. So now you're, you know, like that passion is going to sell totally. so much. Totally, it's the difference between me telling a server what the name of the rice is in the in the paella, and one of these chefs telling them why this rice name this is used in paella because it's a short grain rice because it it takes a little longer to cook and that's why the socarat develops on the bottom it's like it's a little like chef knowledge of the ingredient versus a server memorizing what it is and the name of it yeah they don't just memorize it they they know it they know it they know why it's that and not something else yeah so it's like educational it's educational so there's a lot of fun moments for the guest i think in this experience the other thing i like about this change of the system it doesn't change the model like people were weirded out about the Danny Meyer not being able to tip thing yeah like they were like un- unused to it then also his menu read more expensive than every other restaurant comparatively when you just look menu to menu yeah. you know and that's a very unfair advantage to him this industry like wouldn't exist without tips tips right. like the heroin of our industry right. like it's it we wouldn't be able to pay for all the hands needed to do this for a living if not for the tip so it's a it's a it's it's the money's still coming from the same place which is the irony. It's just the irony, but people <laughs> yeah. on the surface are not that emotionally intelligent to realize, oh, well, if you take away the tip, that's what it would end up being anyway, right? right? But, but they're just doing a base value comparison, or they might not even know that they're not tipping at the end of the meal too. A lot of people wouldn't know. So there's like I wanted to make the guest, the guest experience exactly the same as it would be any other restaurant. You're just rotating. The, We're just rotating the staff. Yeah. I might, I, 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 other than the fact that they might be more knowledgeable about the food, or or it, the, it, the 
the service will eventually be superfluous and that's why they know that there's something different about yeah. what's going on. That's what my intention, my hope is. Otherwise, they would just be dining at a restaurant not knowing that we're trying to change the system. That's, yeah. wanted, that's what I wanted for. Are you worried about consistency? Um, I think that's what my job is, right? Um, so I'm always worried about consistency. Yeah. That's, that's my, that's, I go to sleep worrying about consistency. That's, that's the number one thing a restaurant has to be really good at. Um, so, but that's always my worry in every restaurant, but yeah. that's the hardest part of our job. So yes, it is a little, it is a worry, but, uh, I mean, that's my job to fix that and right. to train better and to teach better and to make sure, but, um, that's always, that's the hardest part about our industry. Are there any other ch- challenges you've already faced? I, mean, I think you opened with the 26th of yes. April and today yes. is the 12th. It's not even a month. You're three no, weeks, three weeks in. This yeah, is the third, weeks. Weeks. third switch. This is yeah. the, the third switch. So what, what are, what's happened that you didn't anticipate happening? Um, no, both good bad. and bad. I think uh, mostly good things are happening, right? I, I the, the the hardest part was for me feeling like Groundhog Day, like when the first switch happened. Some of the mistakes that I had already corrected or seen improvement on in one week were being made again, and I felt like I was going crazy. But then I just realized that this is the other team's first week in the in the kitchen and on the floor, right? right. So it's week one again, yeah. Even though it's week two. And like, come on, it was, it was melting. It's yeah. melting my brain a little bit to come to terms with that. That right. was like a, an issue for me personally. But it, I, once I realized like, I have to have a little bit more graciousness because it's not, it's a whole different restaurant right yeah. now. Like it's a whole, it's week one all over again. And that's like re, coming to terms with that for me after having lived one week, a week, a week yeah. one. So the learning curve is going to be a little more gradual. Uh, exactly. Because, that's the biggest drawback. Yeah. Because the whole thing. It takes time to develop habits. So you yes. spend a week developing habit and then you pull yourself off and you have to develop a whole new set of habits mm-hmm. uh, to, and a whole new set of skills. Right. Mm-hmm. And then, Oh, I'm starting to get this pull off. Well, I'm hoping it's not a hole. I'm, I'm hoping there's some things that some are already good at. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's the continuity, right? It's like, going to happen. It's just going to happen. It's slower. slower. Yeah. That's, that's literally the hardest. Yeah. That is the one, the biggest drawback is that where it would take for me, I thought, I think sometimes for some of these openings that I've had now in the past three years, like I've done four restaurant openings, something stupid like that. And I think the, the progress usually happens in month two here. It might happen month three or four. Got you know it. what I mean? Like there's that tipping point where you finally get into those like real grooves and rhythms and, and that's going to take a little longer. Yeah, for sure. What is the team saying? What's the feedback been? It's so far, we're still, we're still in the honeymoon phase, I'm guessing. Cause yeah. everyone's still really excited. Still, still really jazzed. I think the, the, the biggest thrill was seeing some people look, open their paycheck. For that's the what I was just going to ask. That was that moment. What was for it me like? When the, that was chefs. so cool. <laughs> some of them were like, we jaw dropped. say what they make, but you know, like yeah. I, I'm sure it was considerable. Yeah. Considerable. Like, yeah. Like look, they're on pace to make about 85, thousand a year that's awesome over the first if this continues on this way and we're like uh, we're open at 60 percent capacity we're, we haven't opened up the books fully um i will say like you know friends and family like you know we're very generous people like you know um, sorry that's neely oh <laughs> <laughs> neely just was on the other side of that camera right yeah. there. Um, maybe if we're lucky she'll be on the right side shortly. yeah maybe <laughs> um but yeah so we'll see the benefits like Watching their draw drops and and seeing like oh man okay I don't mind going on the floor so much because some of them were really like oh man I gotta go on the floor next week and I'm like I'm like it's gonna be worth it it's gonna be worth it and they sell the paycheck and like yeah okay yeah. I see what's happening here like yeah. this Learning is cool. and growing like, too yeah. that's the other cool thing people it, people need to grow it's a part of our human you know needs like yeah. we literally need to grow so I feel like you're also 
forcing people to grow, which is, is get outside of their comfort yeah, zone. Yeah, and, and defining cooking, you know, it's just simply the act of working in a kitchen and like with a with a pan on the stove is so limiting. And like what we do is more than that. It's it's hospitality. Like we are under the hospitality umbrella, and it doesn't shouldn't stop at the people only working in the front. It should translate to the back. It should but translate. Also, yeah, all the how way cool around. is it that like last Friday night? Uh, guests came. They came in this this coming Friday night, and they know the names of everybody. Yeah, and it's an open concept too. Yeah. So like, you can yell over to Johnny on the grill. I told them, feel free. If we ever get to the point where you have these guests that really enjoy your personality that you connect with, and these people, even if you're in the dining in the kitchen, I will absolutely. When you have a second, walk off the line, give the person a handshake, talk to them, make it, it'll make their night. Like I'm in for this whole thing. I'm in for all the, all the ways that it comes out, all the ways it's going to permeate and don't let something like you being on the line define you as in, there's no barriers there. Like just walk over and say hi, like do the things that would come naturally to you to do with someone you connect with, like make these connections. They're going to happen all over the place and don't limit yourself to just being on the floor to, to address them. Fucking walk off the line and say hi to someone. I would never get mad about that. That's what we're doing here. Is it crazy to think we've been talking for about an hour and 52 minutes? Wow. Does it, time. <laughs> does it, it goes by fast, it right? Does, it does. But this is why I love the show long format is because of, so much great stuff came out of today's chat, man. And, and, uh, it's, it's good to, to slow down and take the time, right. To, yeah. to really listen and to pull back the layers. And you were a great guest, but I don't want to cut you short. Was there anything yeah. that has not come out of today's conversation as far as, um, you know, skill sets, perspectives, or just this idea of inspire, empower and transform the industry. What else needs to change? If anything? Um, no, I mean like what I really just care about is the, the health of the industry going forward and honing in and, and, and creating an industry that represents all the people that are contributing more evenly. And cause like, again, we experience the experience that we create in the restaurant is goes far beyond the person greeting you and talking to you and touching your table. It's, it's, it's the people in the back. It's the cooks. It's everyone, barbacks, food runners, everyone's contributing to success and special moments, right? And to limit who is receiving that tip and to limit, not make that as far reaching as it should be is that's what what was wrong. And, and, and we're trying to just create a more equitable system. And that's really the most powerful thing that I can say. And I think that chefs deserve this. We deserve this. Like don't think less of yourself. Don't think that you're not capable. Like you deserve to make a living wage. You deserve to like what you do. And I bet you, if you just think outside your box just a little bit, you're going to love what comes out of pushing those muscles that you're not used to, to being guest facing and creating a better model for the whole for the whole industry. Chef David, man, I've loved this conversation. Yeah, right. Thank you so much. We're going to take one more quick break to thank our sponsors and we'll be right back to bust out a speed round. This episode is brought to you by One Huddle. One Huddle is a coaching and development platform using quick burst mobile games to more quickly and effectively level up and fire up your workforce. One Huddle provides a mobile first approach to preparing the modern worker, a library of 3,000 plus quick burst skill games and the option to instantly create personalized content. One Huddle is changing the way restaurants develop their workers by transforming the traditional manuals and videos into deceptively simple, highly effective mobile games proven to level up workers quickly. 
Let's get into some of the facts. So with one huddle, you can onboard employees 45% faster than traditional methods. And there's actually a study done by the University of South Florida that has proven you can train your employees 45% faster using games on one huddle versus traditional micro learning and video based learning. This new and improved way to educate your staff will translate into increased sales because you're creating more consistency with the guest experience, both front and back of house, i.e. menu development, menu memorizing, POS, limited time offers, food costing, things like this. You're looking at a more engaged worker, too, because they're in competition with themselves and the entire organization. This stuff is powerful. Right now, head to www.restaurantunstoppable.com slash one, like the number one, and huddle like a football huddle. And if you use that link, you can get 90 days access to One Huddle's game shop, which includes 3,000 plus on-demand skill games on everything from bartending to serve safe to the latest Amazon best-selling books and so much more. Again, that's restaurantunstoppable.com slash one huddle. And you have to use that link. This is a cost per acquisition agreement, meaning we get paid per lead that goes through that link. So if you are finding value in this podcast and you want to support, please use this link. And it's, it's a testament to how much we believe in one huddle that we're willing to do this. So thank you in advance. This episode is brought to you by Ovation. Creating a great guest experience is the goal of every restaurant every time. But the ways to find out what's actually happening with the guests are terrible. Long surveys are annoying. Nobody likes to take them. Table touches aren't scalable. And every negative review costs you 30 new customers. Ouch. That's where Ovation steps in. Ovation gets happy guests to leave positive reviews, unhappy guests to share what happened, and it gives you specific ideas to improve. Using a simple two-question survey, guests either click a text message they get after placing an order or scan a QR code to easily answer, how was your experience? Happy guests leave five-star reviews and can be invited back with automated text marketing. And unhappy guests share privately what went wrong so you can resolve your concerns in real time. Then the magic happens. Ovation takes all the public reviews and all the Ovation private feedback and analyzes them in a single simple view so you can know exactly what to fix and where. It's frictionless for your guests, easy for your managers, and powerful for you. If you're interested in actionable guest feedback, visit OvationUp.com slash Unstoppable. Unstoppable listeners get $100 off their setup fee. What are you waiting for? That's OvationUp.com slash Unstoppable. We're back. And the first question I have for you, actually, before we ask the first question, I do want to give a nod um, to that episode. If If you're looking to learn more about this front of house, back of house swap model um jack o'sullivan episode 371 was the first time that we discussed this on the show and um the the restaurant he at the time it was the big bean but he's now associated with the oak house and it's the oak house that's doing this that i know of so oh, if you guys cool. are interested and it's a new market in new hampshire if anybody wants to do some research or if you want to that's i'm happy really to, cool. to introduce yeah, you to i would love to yeah all right Speed round time. Uh, the first question I have for you is what is your it factor, a habit, a trait, a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success? Uh, surrounding myself, identifying good people. What is your biggest weakness? 
Pride. What is one question you ask or thing you look for when you are growing your team? Uh, I want to find your passion. And if you can, if you're capable of passion, then I'm capable of stoking. Uh, how you? How do you go about finding that passion? Um, my job as an interviewer is to get you to talk and uh, to reveal something about yourself. And if I can find something that you're interested in or passionate about, then I know that you're capable of passion, and that's something that I can identify with. If you're if you're giving me one word answers, if you're vanilla, if you don't know why you're sitting across from me, if you don't know anything about what I'm doing, you're not gonna get the job. What is your biggest challenge today? Today, uh, I got my hands full of this opening. <laughs> <laughs> but imagine how are you overcoming it? Um, you know, again, leaning on the people that you've surrounded yourself with. I need a lot of help. Nobody does it alone. What is one code of conduct or behavior, core value you teach your team? Um, be selfless. You know, help the guy next to you. What is one uncommon standard of service? A way you go above and beyond guest expectation. Um. I think like my attempt is to go above and beyond the guest expectation and is to a gift and a, a surprise gift. Uh, like I said before, when I would hear someone debating about one or two options, a bite of the other option that they didn't choose is always like a fun surprise. Yeah. Wow. I like that. that kind of thing. Uh, what is one book that's a must read to make us a better person or a restaurant owner? Um, yeah. Um, the, uh, Wogadera's book, uh, unreasonable hospitality is obsessive. Uh, I'm obsessed with so yeah, it was. I listened to that book on my way down to Atlanta a few months ago, and it was absolutely a great book. Yeah, um, I recommend it to anybody as well. Um, and I do want to mention if you guys head over to restaurantstoppable.com slash nine nine seven, we have a link to that book. If you have not picked it up in audio yet, well, you will cool. support the podcast. Thank you. All right, advance. I got you. <laughs> uh, what is one thing you feel restaurant tours don't do well enough or often enough? Uh, Listen to their teammates, listen to their staff. Like, uh, I think sometimes people are, can be too set in their ways. And I think there's always have to, no matter how much you think, you know what you're doing, listening to their, your team members and the people you surround yourself with is important. Literally just had somebody on the show a, lot, a couple of weeks ago. What is it costing you not to listen? Christine miles, the author. I don't know if you're aware of her, but that book mm-hmm. is awesome. Okay. It's, it's a great, Ma- uh, right. it's a great, it's on audio too. It's a great listen. Uh, or you can just go check out the episode. It's like nine, nine, three or something like nine, that. Three. Um, all right. We're almost at the end. Uh, what is one technology you've recently adopted? That's had a huge impact on communication, efficiency, profitability, anything along those lines. Mm, That's rough. I'm a very, very old school kind of guy. Um, I mean, Google calendars is like a revelation to me. Uh, it's called a Google suite. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but no, I, I don't really, I'm so not technically savvy, man. If Nelly was sitting here right now, what would she geek out over? <laughs> I don't know if I've ever seen Nelly without her, her Neely without her, um, her Apple, uh, Apple. Um, Have I been calling her Nelly this whole time? And it's Neely. It's Neely. Yeah. <laughs> Shit. Sorry. It's okay. I'm horrible. I'm so sorry. Um, <laughs> I, if I haven't corrected you, it's my fault. Honestly. Um, yeah, she's never without her laptop. She's like surgically glued to her hand. She's always working. Maybe we'll defer to her after yeah. the recording. Uh, and this is the last question. Get ready for it. It's a big one. If you got the news, you'd be leaving this world tomorrow. All the, the memories of you, your work, and your restaurants would be lost with your departure. With the exception of three pieces of wisdom you could leave behind for the good of humanity and your legacy, what would those three pieces of wisdom be? Oof. Uh Three pieces of wisdom to leave behind. Um, be fearless, make lots of mistakes, and learn from them. 
be fearless, make lots of mistakes and learn from them. This has been a lot of fun, chef. Thank you so much. Uh, we call out at the end of every show. We call out a future guest. Uh, that's how we wrap it up. So who do you respect and admire? Somebody that if you found out was a guest on this podcast, you'd absolutely be tuning into. I love James Kent. James he's, Kent. He's a chef at Crown Shy and, and he's a big deal. Uh, he's pretty awesome. And, and I love where he came from and how hip hop he is with everything he does. I, you know, is he um, based around here? Crown, uh, he's a New York chef. He's, he's, he's pretty, pretty big deal. Neely, I have a question for you. <laughs> <laughs> she's <said> documenting <laughs> this as well apparently <laughs> uh what is one piece yeah what, what is one piece of technology that you've recently adopted that's had a huge impact on profitability efficiency communication anything along those lines technology yes uh, I mean, I'm, I, this might be a boring answer, but it's probably the usual suspects. There's a reason why companies like Toast and Resi are public and really good at what they do. Um, I would say, but as far as like... Toast and, Toast and Resi specifically are both really, really awesome. So there's a lot of uh, reservation options out there. What is it that Resi is doing differently? Well, we just transitioned to Resi um, in April at... Uh, the St. Laurent, and then we opened with Resi here, and I just we just started Resi yesterday at Heirloom Mulbridge. So, I mean, ultimately, it's like the better version of Open Table. So it has all of the um, it has all of the back end as far as um, how intuitive it is, and then I think just the auto wait lists and being able to grab people on their phone and capture those moments when tables become available was a missed opportunity on talk that we weren't able to do yeah. and their software is just not as good. Got it. So, awesome. I mean, it's pretty simple. Yeah. Um, both have good interfaces. And we, so, you're asking me a boring question, man. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's, it's, he, asked me about te- he asked me about technology. I'm like, I am not. I am so. That's hilarious. I'm, yeah. <laughs> in my experience, all chefs send one email in their sent box a month. Uh, <laughs> that's David's. Oh, man. That's funny stuff. Well, yeah. this has been a lot of fun. That was literally the last thing we we're going to discuss. Actually, the one thing we have not done, if we've been inspired by your story, uh, interested in your knowledge and what you're doing here, maybe we want to replicate this model across the country to spread this equity yeah. further than Jersey. Yeah. You know, um, what's the best way to get in, in touch and to, to maybe we want to come work for you. Yeah. Um, you can find me on our social media, my social media handle on, uh, on Instagram specifically. It's uh, chef Dave Vienna. Um, and then, you know, I reach out to heirloom kitchen, um, via email, um, email us and, and Neely will direct you to me and, and we'll be in touch that way too. You can email the restaurant and Neely <laughs> will get it to me. Uh, if you email me directly, you won't, <laughs> you will not, you will not, but if Neely sends me something, I, I will respond. Um, Beautiful. but yeah, just, this has been a media. lot of fun and we're over our time officially by eight minutes. So I want to wrap this up to respect your time. And thank you so now much. this is where I say, thank you so much, my friend. Uh, there is no questioning both chef Dave and Neely. You guys are unstoppable. Yes. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers. 
There's another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable. Special thanks to our guest today, Chef David Viana, for coming on the show and for getting real, getting vulnerable, and being transparent, sharing what you're doing to inspire, empower, and transform the industry, especially with your back of house, uh, in front of house rotation. I'm really interested in that and seeing how that goes. You better believe I'm going to follow up in a few years to get a, 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 some feedback as to how that's evolved and how you guys are are pushing forward with that model. There's only one other restaurant I know of that's doing what you're doing, and they're in uh, Newmarket, New Hampshire, the Oak House. So uh, I'm interested in this approach, and I want to hear more. If you're doing this as well, let us know. Uh, we're always looking for the, the the person, the restaurant group who's challenging the status quo and trying to make a more equitable model. So uh, keep up the great work, David and the folks over at heirloom restaurant group so if you're enjoying this podcast and you want more like it we need your support there's a ton of ways you can support the show uh one way is by supporting our sponsors if you listen to an ad you're interested be sure to use our link so they know that the ad space is getting an roi uh, or anytime a tool or service is mentioned on the show we might have an affiliate link and at no extra cost to you we can earn a commission and it, honestly we might even be able to save you some money so using those links really supports the show share this podcast with everyone and anyone you know aspiring to be great in the restaurant industry get the word out there and then lastly one great way to support the podcast is to join restaurant unstoppable network.com admittedly We've been quiet over there, and that's because sometimes you got to slow down to speed up. You don't know until you know, and um, I know that my purpose is out is out on the road, is meeting new people, is is bringing people into the network. But we needed a community manager, someone to be plugged in digitally. We found that person, and Callan Callan is going to be our community manager at Restaurant Stoppable Network. Uh, she's going to be helping us with just communicating, uh, keeping you guys uh, you know up to breast with what's going on behind the scenes, uh, scheduling events, things like this. I cannot wait to bring the network back. We have the team. We need to do it right this time. So if something you've been wanting to do is join Restaurant Unstoppable Network, now is the time to do it. Head over to restaurantstoppablenetwork.com. Be a part of the conversation. Um, I think that's pretty much it for today. Thank you to the people who make this show possible. Thank you to Jerry Parisi for your copyright and editing. It's all the new people we have coming on board. I can't wait for the future. That's it for today. Until next time, peace out.